Steve, I am so disappointed, man. You're disappointed? Why? Absolutely. Oh, I'm gutted. I'm gutted. Nintendo announced this new this new Switch, and it just did not live up to my expectations. Um, no 36-inch screen <laughs> like I wanted. They're, they're adding an OLED and not a PLED. <laughs> yeah. They're still using the Joy-Cons. They didn't add like super Joy-Cons or anything like that. Still the same. Same one. Still the same thing. Still pretty much the same thing. Uh, from what I can tell, I think the Switch games are still going to taste bad mm. going forward. They didn't make them taste <laughs> Hopefully better. Hopefully they'll change the flavor. I wanted strawberry and I uh, didn't get that. So I'm I'm really upset with Nintendo. I think I think they should fold it in. If Nintendo can't just come out and be Sony like I want them to be, why do I keep giving them money? Yeah. You know why? I wish I had an answer for you, buddy. <laughs> How upset were you? Did you break anything when you were like, "Oh my God, what are they doing?" I when I heard the announcement, I just thought to myself, "Man." gonna have to ignore a lot of twitter grumbling for a while (laughs) (laughs) how can i you know how am i supposed to enjoy any switch game not in 16k i I don't understand i don't think you can to be honest i think any fun you've had with switch games up till now has been a lie it's been a mistake you fooled yourself and nintendo has i've not enjoyed it once kind of put their flag in the ground that you're not going to have fun moving forward they don't like you they you know they probably don't and that's that's fine i'll deal with it you'll deal with it we'll deal with it because this is the polykill <laughs> podcast where we have the emotional depth of a dry puddle and uh, we don't get too upset about things so that's good that means we also don't get very excited about things either so if you're in this thinking wow this podcast is going to be great this is my first time these guys seem like they're going to be a lot of fun now we're pretty boring we're pretty even keel <laughs> you know the if you feel like generally positive about something and you want to have that feeling reaffirmed, you're in the right spot. If you want, yeah, hot takes. If you want, yeah, uh, you know, in depth criticism, that you could probably probably go elsewhere. Yeah, this is not that podcast. We are relaxed as can be, and honestly, I could do for some relaxation, Steve. I am really. Yeah, damn tired. I am very tired. So my opening bit might might have even sounded a little bit like grouchy, you know, like oh, everybody's so <laughs> mad at Nintendo. What what is going on? Uh, you know, be mad at Nintendo if you want to be. I don't care. I I have have a Switch. I'm perfectly fine with it, and I'll be fine with the Switch until they stop making games for it. I bought one Switch. I don't need another one. I'm always good with the base model. Are you the kind of guy that'll just upload or update mid? mid-console cycle for for some new goodness i mean nothing wrong with that that's just not something that i uh yeah i'm an updater i think every console that has had an updated version other than the xbox one i've upgraded so i've uh, you know ds to ds Lite to dsi ps to ps or ps4 to ps4 pro Wii to wii u hey oh all all those i've i've I don't usually get it day one, but I do move towards the upgrades sooner rather than later. See, I still have this, you know, this mentality that I had growing up as a, you know, a kid who was always a generation behind that the, even the upgrades are out of, out of my league, out of my reach, <laughs> out of my interest. Like, I'm like, oh, that's for, that's for the rich kids. No, I don't do the upgrades. I, I buy that base model when the upgrade comes out for cheap. And then I stick with that until it starts smoking out of the back. 
And uh, that's what we do around here. That's what I do anyway. So if you did want an upgraded Switch, no, sincerely, I'm, I'm sorry if you did not get what you want. But maybe one day you will. We'll see. Uh, until then, let's talk about these announcements that we have. We're a podcast who sometimes does giveaways, apparently. And uh, we're supposed to announce a winner. And we will do that. I might have alluded to a few seconds ago that I'm very tired. Man, I've been very busy. And so I'm, I'm very sorry that I haven't gone through and done all the raffle math that needs to be done so that we can randomly pick a winner. But we will get around to that and announce who won that the absolutely 10 out of 10 NES game, Dead Tomb. And uh, we'll, we'll let you know who who wins that random drawing next episode. As well, we will try to announce when we will be doing the next collection showcase in that same episode. So next episode is going to be way better than this one. You could probably skip this one now. No. no. You want to get no Stick answers. Stick around. I'm, Trav has promised us. He, it was it was just barely off air right before he hit record. He said, "Today is the day. My five funniest jokes. I'm hitting you with the five best oh, I man. have. So you all have to stick around right. through the entire podcast, and then you guess what those five were. Because remember, these are he might not call them out, but these are his five funniest jokes. Uh, he put that pressure <laughs> on me. You're just you're just ruining everything. You're ruining everything. You know what was funny on the I would I traveled this weekend. I was on my way back today, and on the way back, I was like, man, I got a podcast tonight, and I do not feel funny. I do not I do not I do not feel like a funny boy. So uh, thanks for putting that pressure on. I'm very sorry to everyone who um, has their heart set on five funny jokes at all, much less funniest. No, but um, you know. Before we get carried away with me just dragging down the show with my deprecation, some games that are coming soon. What do you have on your to-get list that's coming out over the next couple of weeks? Honestly, more than I thought that I would. First one that is coming out pretty soon uh, is called Where the Heart Leads. And this looks like, I mean, the gameplay looks pretty, pretty familiar. It's kind of a third-person puzzle platformer type of deal has i don't even know what game to compare it to but it's got like a real nice art style that's sort of flat shaded a little bit it doesn't have a lot of detail but it has like real good vibe real good mood when you look at it takes a good screenshot Mm. so it's made by some of the former developers of recore on the xbox one and probably other games too and that game while it kind of came and went and it didn't blow my mind was fun i liked it and so to see something that looks a little more that at a glance appears indie-ish seems kind of fun and it was completely off my radar until i started looking up the upcoming releases so it's like hey i think i'm down to check that out it looks pretty wholesome yeah you know just looking at these screenshots there's a family with a dog yeah and uh yeah and i can tell just by the name and seeing a, a screenshot of a family with a dog that game's going to try to make me cry. And I don't want to cry. <laughs> you know how. Yeah, I cry all the time, especially these days. One thing that I always catch flack for is just being the biggest Space Jam fan I can be. I have loved <laughs> Space Jam, the you know, when it came out when I was a kid. That movie hooked little chubby fat want to be at good want to be good at basketball travis so so hard i danced i slow danced with every girl in my grade to every slow song on that space jam soundtrack oh the memories man and i went through the mcdonald's drive throughs trying to get all of those those plushy characters that were part of the happy meal and i mean man just i'm a space jam fanatic that said haven't watched won't maybe not watch willingly no interest in the new movie 
per se. Yeah. I'm kind of okay with with the old one for me. I'm, I have nothing against LeBron James. In fact, he might be my favorite NBA player to watch. But you know, it's just that's a sacred that's a sacred bit of um, IP for me is old Space Jam. But I've never played a Space Jam video game, and I know one already exists from the original film. But there's Space Jam New Legacy coming out, which is a beat 'em up with Ble- uh, LeBron James and those uh, those tunes there. And uh, I could get down with that. A little retro flavor, a little side-scrolling beat-em-up action, maybe a little bit of an adventure thrown in there. I'm not real sure, but that's just my flavor, my nostalgia flavor, my comfy, my sit-down and eat a whole bag of popcorn, buy myself sad kind of feel-good game. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I can get down with it. Not uh, sure why I'm saying this, because this seems like just a way to get people to unsubscribe, but I don't really remember Space Jam. I saw it once as a kid and I liked it. And then I forgot every single detail to the point where I think if I took a lie detector test, it would be conclusive that I'd never seen it because I just don't remember a single Hmm. thing. Maybe you were were attacked on the way out of the theater (laughs) and you have like retrograde amnesia because it was a pretty memorable movie. Maybe you were a stupid kid. I'm sorry. Maybe you just weren't paying attention (laughs) or you were, uh, you know. On a date, and your your interest was in your date the whole time, and you missed the Bill Murray's part, which was great, or you know any other number of great moments in that film, and you just um, it's on you, it's your fault, not the movie's fault, is what I'm. Sounds thinking. like you remember it just as well as I do, but that's okay. Oh, I love, I've seen it a hundred times. Beautiful. I remember we went on a a field trip when I was in fifth or sixth grade after the movie had come out in in a, a charter bus with TVs, which was pretty fancy back in the day. Mm-hmm. You know, it was always fun to get those those nice overnight uh, field trips with the charter bus. And uh, we definitely watched that movie like four times, like two on the way there, two on the way back. <laughs> like we, we demanded it as children. So, no, I have I have a, a lot of I could quote most of it. So uh, but yeah, I mean, that's it's a bit of a silly one. I don't want to spend too much time on it. But Space Jam New Legacy, that's man, cool. it hits me right in the comfort spot. Yeah, absolutely. So you have a few more here that are probably much more interesting and universally loved by the people that listen to this podcast. So why don't you get in there? I don't think so. I think between the two of us, oh. you are the everyman. I think they come to Trav for that good old dependable, and then they listen to so. me to sound highbrow and snooty about games that they've never heard of. Oh, I'm very lowbrow and not snooty is what you're saying. And, and I get that. Yeah, kind of taking my pot shots because you're too tired to defend yourself. I'm very tired. Yeah, two, two actually. And I think these are ones that people have heard of before. But one, I don't know how to pronounce this, Chris Tales, Cree Tales. I think you nailed it. You nailed it. Chris Tales. It has, has to, to be. be Chris Tales. But this is a. Uh, or you move the T over. It's a brewery called Christ Ales. <laughs> think about that. I will think about that. That's, mm. that's That runs deep. It's going right to r slash shower thoughts. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, so this one's a turn-based <laughs> RPG, which really it's just very striking visually. I think that's sort of the hook for a lot of people is it just. There aren't really any other games that look exactly like this, and it really it takes a pretty screenshot. So uh, it's been coming for a while now. I forget when it was first announced or where. It probably was a Kickstarter or something like that, but uh, it seems to be finally getting its release soon, at least according to our sources. So I I'm looking forward to it. I, I'm 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 craving a bit of a good RPG these days, and uh, I think that'll fit the bill quite nicely. You're craving one because the because uh, Dragon Age isn't doing it for you anymore. No, Dragon Age is amazing. Mm, okay, it's because well, I I would think of that differently. I, I guess I should say like a turn based JRPG. Mm, Dragon Age gotcha. is a little more 
involved, a little more slow-paced. That's fair. But the one turn-based RPG I am playing, which is Yakuza, it really comes in fits and spurts. And so I'd like one that I could sit down and commit a little more time to. Uh, the other one I have here is a game called Last Stop. First and foremost, the the most important thing to know about it is that it is Annapurna published. And Annapurna Interactive is just all bangers. They they don't miss. So I know it's going to be good. But it's a adventure game, third-person adventure game. And it does uh, something I really love. It, it has kind of like a supernatural... Uh, it's, it takes place in London, I think, but there's supernatural elements that your different characters are trying to work out, but it does a thing I love where there's three different protagonists and you play their stories independently, but their stories seem to like weave in and out of each other where they are impacting the events in each other's sort of timelines and one character will meet up with another and help them out. And then maybe they split off. I just, I really like stories that have multiple perspectives and then they eventually coalesce and split off again. I think ever since I played Sukoden 3, I've always just craved that type of storytelling. So that plus cool looking environment or a cool looking setting, I should say, plus Annapurna. Boom. I'm in. I'm in. You're in. It's an interesting looking game for an RPG. I'll say that. Uh, my second and last one that I'm looking forward to is death's door stars a little birdie now i'll come out and say it i'm not a huge fan of birds i think they freak me out their heads move too fast i feel like uh when god was putting things on the planet he might have been under a bit of a crunch with birds forgot to give them some more frame rate because i don't like how fast their heads move it was really rushed uh and you should be mad at god about birds if you're mad at nintendo i i I think that that's fair but I like it because, you know, it's the uh, same folks that made Titan Souls. I've not played that, but it's also a game that I've wanted to play because it, it had, hits a, a lot of good marks for me. It's one of those top-down Legend of Zelda type, uh, type games, you know, weapons, magic, run around, large-scale boss fights, all that stuff. And so um, I think it's honestly a little bit neat that you're a bird because, you know what, birds don't have hands. How's this thing getting around? How's it attacking things? I don't know. I do not know, but I'm interested in finding out. So, um <laughs> Yeah, Death's Door, be a bird, do Zelda stuff. What will they come up with next? It, it looks good. It seems like, uh, I think it's roguelike-ish. And yes. in in the little bit of gameplay I've watched, it really, not to be reductive, but it seems like if you played Hades and you had fun with that, but you're done with Hades, and now you want like maybe a little bit more similar-ish gameplay to Hades, take a look at Death's Door. It seems like it's going to be yeah. really fun. And it's uh, apparently a little bit of a uh, gated exploration game in the vein of, you know, a Metroid. Ooh, we're making that happen. I like it. Mm -hmm. Heck yeah. Beautiful. That sounds like a great slew of upcoming games. You know, for a July, for a late July, not bad, if you ask me. We're getting some decent stuff. I agree, man. And it was a a, a nice little, uh, a a lot to choose from. I really spent a lot of time looking at the list this week because there were so many games, and I love that. I love when there's a big list to choose from. I know. I'm starting to feel more and more like I just can't keep up with most releases that came out. I used to really feel like I was like on top of games that were coming up. People would talk about, have you heard of this? And I almost always be like, oh, yeah, definitely. And as... As time and my age and the number of games all seems to grow and expand, I, rapidly I feel like it's it's more and more difficult to keep your head above water and try to wrap your head around everything that's coming. I hear that, buddy. Yeah, I, I 
I used to to pay a little bit more attention myself. Obviously, my time is a lot more abbreviated than it used to be, so I am treading water and just trying to sound relevant on this podcast. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you for also feeling like me. Are we ready for the hot seat? That isn't something that the person going into the hot seat usually is just willing to. It's like, are you are you ready to get waterboarded? Are you? Do you want to do this now? <laughs> it sounds... That could be a nice little tease. Like, you ready to get waterboarded, huh? Like, I don't know. It feels, it feels more menacing to me when you when you ask it nicely. But um, yeah, are you ready to get those 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 fucking butt cheeks tanned, my friend? Because they're about to be. <laughs> yes, I am. All right. Good, 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 good. Because I want to know if you were a transformer, what vehicle would you transform into? A huffy bicycle with pegs. Wow, that's oddly specific. Why is this? When I was growing up, I had a Huffy bike. I loved riding around town on my Huffy bike, but I never had pegs. I always wanted them. So why not take the opportunity to live out that fantasy finally? <laughs> yeah, okay. So you could listen to Blink-182, do some tricks out there in the parking lot, maybe break your ankle? Yep. Never broken a bone, but I never had a bike with pegs. So I don't know if those two things are related or not. You know, if you get one now, I guarantee you, you'll break a bone before the end of August. <laughs> there will be a broken bone in your body. That's probably true. I, I haven't been on a bike in so long. I don't know if I remember how to ride one. And I know that that's like an age old saying that you never forget. <laughs> but I legitimately think if I got on one, I would topple over. I had an experience where I hadn't ridden a bike in several years and I got on it and I was able to balance, but I completely forgot how the gears worked. I was like, what, is 10 good or bad? Oh, nope, this is hard. And the chain is on the ground. All right, well, we're putting that back up in the garage and pretend it never happened. You can control any element. You're like Magneto or something, and I don't really, I don't, I don't X-Men, but let's pretend he does elements. Uh, what, what element do you want to control? You want mastery over this element? That one is tough. I think I would go with water because... That's a couple elements in there, but we'll, I'll, you know, I'll allow it. Oh, you want, like, a scientific element? Well, it doesn't have to be. I was being a little bit pedantic there. Hmm. All right, well. I'm going to let you I'm gonna let you choose it. Water, though, I mean, that is a good choice. I would say water because, one, I feel like there's a lot you can do if you're, you know, Avatar-style waterbending. You can make ice. You can wear stuff down by just, like, the natural process of eroding it with rock. And then when you get really good, you start to be able to really cheat the system by, like, by like manipulating the water in the humidity within the air or manipulating mm. the water in someone's body. Like you start to have a lot more power finding water in unexpected places or through the property of manipulating water in or out of something. So it seems very potent. I, I would agree with that. You know, being on this planet and whatnot, very water centric. Yeah, you're basically you're in full control with the agua so good good answer bit of a cheat code but a good answer yeah uh you know kind of similar to this question i didn't mean for it to be but uh you know would you ever consider colonizing another planet if it meant you could not return to earth if you, if, if they would send you off to a planet they want to name this planet after you and then everybody on that planet was going to be just little versions of you forever with little headbands on playing their 3ds's and at some point their four and five ds's because of future stuff uh you know w would you would you consider that 
Am I am I like the trailblazer here? Am I the one who is Yeah, you're colonizing it, buddy. With like yeah. 20 people or like me and me alone. What are you looking for? You looking for a harem of ladies to get this thing started off with? I mean, if that's what it takes to get you up there, buddy, I don't know. But uh, yeah, I mean, this would be your thing. You know, you might even get to choose your people, but you cannot come back to Earth. Once you're up there colonizing, you're just getting busy. You know what I'm saying? And probably growing a lot of vegetables and uh, using your own poop to fertilize it. But yeah, that's, that's, that's a whole thing. It's not the angle I was taking, but I, I appreciate it. I, I think my answer is no. Because mm. if you're if you're colonizing a new planet, one we haven't solved space travel yet, and I'm sure this is a hypothetical. In your hypothetical, we probably had solved it. So I, I assume sure. I wouldn't die from cosmic radiation in on no. the flight there. No. But even if so, I mean, think about every movie you've ever seen where they've colonized another planet. It it always goes wrong. Either some some people get uppity and they decide to you know, break contact with Earth and then you have to deal with a whole rebellion like Red Faction style or Mm. some unknown alien force, either disease takes over and and kills everyone or some aliens land and uh, body snatch a bunch of people. It just seems like a a recipe for disaster. I'd I'd rather live comfortably in the anonymity of the 7 billion people on Earth with barely anyone knowing my name. If I if I die, I don't want to be responsible for 1% of a population dying. My gosh. Well, that seems very altruistic, but uh, if it's up to me, punching my ticket, getting off this rock, it's, it's, it's going to flood soon. We're a solar flare away from everybody dying. Get me out of here. Also, I, I, you know, I don't want to go back to work, so that, that would be a good way to get me out of it. Just ship me off to my own planet. And, um... Yeah, man. I think uh, I think I'm I think I'd get out of here. Peace I respect out. It. I respect but, it. But I'm taking several several hard drives full of all of my favorite stuff. You know, <laughs> I never said you couldn't take it with you. You could take the Earth with you. All the digital Earth can can come along. So I'll be fine. All right, here we go. Last one here for you. If you were going to write a book, and this kind of sets the theme for our discussion later in this episode. But if you're going to write a book or create really anything under a pseudonym. What is that pseudonym? I want to give you a really a really funny one, but I think it would only be fair to everybody if I gave you the very first thing that came to my mind, regardless of quality. And That's that, the hot seat way. And that is Benjamin R. Wriggler. <laughs> <laughs> that, he sounds like he writes a teenage horror. Yeah, he's friends and, with R.L. Um, Stein. They hang out. Yeah, him and R.L. Stein are hanging out. Benjamin R. Riggler, old B.R.R. <laughs> I love it. I love it. What does the R stand for? What's <laughs> What's the middle name that he's hiding behind that initial R? <laughs> he when he made it, he he thought it stood for writing, but he forgot there's a W at the beginning, so he's embarrassed <laughs> and he just shrinks it down to an R now. <laughs> oh man, classic Riggler. Yeah. yeah. Very good. All right, you're out of the hot seat, buddy. I hope it was okay. I, didn't, I wasn't too. I wasn't too mean here, right? That was good. My recommendation is, if you're ever going to get stuck in the hot seat, get yourself a low energy handler. They don't throw too much at you. They just kind of accept whatever answer you give, mm-hmm. and they let you roll right through. It's pretty cozy. That's that's what happens when you're a sleepy, sleepy boy. But uh, but you were you were fantastic in there, Steve, for sure. <laughs> 
Uh, I think you should colonize your own planet, though. I'll just come visit yours once you've colonized it. You seem pretty gung-ho on this. I'll let you take the initiative. I mean, it's going to be a pretty cool planet. It's going to be pretty, pretty cool. I'm going to dig through the center. I'm going to call the center of the planet the basement, and the basement's just going to be a big game room. It's going to be fun. Yeah. It'll be hot in there, but it'll be fun. (laughs) My game room's already hot, so we'll get used to it. There you go. All right. So so games that we're, we're cranking away on, you know? A lot of people come to this podcast because I don't know why they're here, to be honest with you. I don't. I was about to assume. I have no idea. But, you know, eventually we're going to beat some games. But we got to play them first. Yeah. So what are you playing? What are you, what are you trying to beat? Got a, I've got a nice eclectic mix for you today. I, I didn't realize it, but I do. Um, okay. First off, I decided to stream a game that was free on PS Plus last month, I think. I think it was in June. Maybe it was in May. It's a game called Operation Tango. And so, forgive me, I'm forgetting now, I think you were there for the stream, but for anyone that's never seen this for a little game bit. before, uh, it is a co-op spy thriller, very much a, a fully co-op experience designed for co-op, and everything you're doing is asynchronous. So one person takes the role of a hacker who's kind of like you know sitting behind the wall of monitors hacking into the enemy systems and stuff like that and then the other person takes control of the agent who is actually infiltrating in to whatever compound or facility it is that you're doing you end up working together to break in and solve whatever your objectives are by doing all sorts of just like really clever uh like single blind uh, asynchronous uh activities so one person will say okay, you know, I just got into this room. I'm looking at four podiums. And when I take a look at one of these podiums, I'm seeing like this temperature readout. And I'm saying, okay, okay, okay. I've I've got a chart that tells me based on what color of podium you're standing at, what temperature you need to have. So what color you're at? And you kind of go back and forth and you're communicating with both sides having imperfect information to solve whatever it is you're working towards doing. And Oh my gosh, this game was so much fun. I expected to like it, but they have so many different clever like ways to combine and make you guys work together that it just it just was ear to ear. I was beaming the whole time. Loved it. Yeah, it was a really good way to set up the stream too. You had a shout out your buddy there. You had Ari Lewis on there looking cute yes. as always with his big old white headphones. And you of course donned in your purple bandana that night. I remember everything. <laughs> and um it was great. We could see both screens, which is not something that you guys had the ability to do. Yep. And so we could see how it was going to break down. And uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I was trying to think of, um, you because there's a lot of those games, you know, kind of like that. I was trying to think there's one, uh, something like, you know, don't explode yes. or something about a bomb. I was going to say, it, it is very reminiscent of Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes, if you've ever played there that before. Um, uh, in that one, you have like... People will be referencing like a manual and stuff, but if you if you're familiar with the types of activities you're doing in that as you work together, it's really similar. In fact, there were a couple areas in Operation Tango that you'd swear were taken, like lifted whole cloth, a hundred percent right out of Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes. So yeah, yep. And I'm thinking of our uh, our uh, friend group of ours um, has video game parties every now and then, and this is the kind of game that is usually a hit. Because uh, you get two people playing it, then you get an audience around it, and it makes it really, really fun. And I could see that being um, 
being something that that a lot of people could enjoy in that way because it seemed like a lot of the puzzles were quick and it didn't really matter if you played them all the way through. I mean, they build up to a point, but yeah. um, I don't know. It seemed like a really neat idea. I had never heard of this at all. I, I mean, it's Operation Tango sounds like I would have, but that also just sounds like an 80s movie starring <laughs> Kurt Russell. Yeah, it it, it does kind of lose itself in its name. You see the name Operation Tango and your mind's like, oh, is that just like some sort of generic you know, SOCOM alike that came out a couple of years mm-hmm. ago was originally mobile only and then eventually exactly. they had a console port or something like that. But no, it's very, very stylish. It has a real no one lives forever aesthetic with maybe a little bit of like perfect dark tossed in there for good measure. Some of the facilities you're invading feel a little bit like Joanna Dark infiltrating a Datadyne headquarters or something like that. Uh, but yeah, Rusty and I, I, we both loved it. We got off the stream and we both spent another half an hour talking about how much fun it was, making sure that we could line up another stream and keep going through it. So I'll definitely see this one through when I have the time. It's 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 actually kind of painful that I can't play it until we can find a spot where both of our schedules line up. Because gosh, it was just it was just so much fun. Exactly like you were saying, it seemed fun for us, but also everyone in chat seemed to really be enjoying it too. There were multiple people that were in there saying like, "Wow, this is so much fun to watch." and People don't normally come into my chat to tell me that I'm fun to watch. So obviously something was going on with this game. Well, a lot of it was rusty, let's be honest. Yeah, but um, but no, no, it was it was a great game to stream. And again, again, it was a, gr- a, a good setup to stream it like that because uh, it did keep us all engaged. So uh, good job. If you do stream it again, I it, throw it out there and hopefully people that listen to the show can check it out because we're we're not talking it up uh, falsely. It's it's worth a watch. It's worth a play. Yeah, and you you might again you might have it in your library and not even know if you're a ps plus member it was one of the free games so you might have just clicked it and never thought about it again that's right okay so i'm playing blaster master zero two big blaster master fan if you like tales of the lester medium we did a blaster master lesser sode we covered all of the uh, the games up through and up to blaster master zero and now i'm playing blaster master zero two and um i like it a lot more than the first one at least of what i remember of the first one i played the first one a few years back and it was uh during that uh during my paternal leave which uh as as nature kind of does uh when when you have a small small baby around you get uh, really bad amnesia so uh i don't remember much about that time <laughs> or the game i just know that i played and and, and finished it uh but i, I kind of remember it being a little bit basic maybe a little bit too easy even oh and i'm not seeing that at all with blaster master zero two a good amount of challenge really fun boss battles a lot of boss battles um and it's structured kind of neat too and that you know you're you're taking your ship the sophia around to different planets and you have to unlock planets and fly there and so you then you're suddenly in a new environment and so the environment's constantly shifting and the critters and the enemies are always new and different so i'm mm. having a lot of fun with it I, I put a little time into it on the trip my wife drove us a couple hours to see some friends and um i just piddled with it a little bit on the way up and on the way back and um really really liked it so i'm looking forward to focusing on it a little bit more i haven't played the switch in a minute so uh, this is this is good. And speaking of of Blaster Master Zero Two, the third one uh, was just uh, announced on uh, Limited Run Games here in the last couple of weeks or so. So the third one's going to be, I guess, if it was if LRG announced it a couple of weeks ago, we're looking to get that thing probably sometime <laughs> around Christmas. But that's okay. I'm looking forward to it, and I like surprises in the mail. So um, yeah, so big Blaster Master Zero fan. This one's pretty fun. I'm glad to hear that that one's good. Uh, I did pick up that Blaster Master Zero Three from Limited Run, but I was real. My finger hovered over the button for a while because 
Mm. I haven't played either of the first two. I bought the first one because I knew I wanted to play it. It was that was uh, Blaster Master Zero was one of the earliest Switch like eShop downloadable games. I remember right around launch that was one of the games people were talking about, and then. Yeah. I just never played it, never played it. When the Fizz Edition was announced, I picked that up and I was like, all right, this is perfect. This is an opportunity. And I still just never have. Then the second one came out and I was like, well, I know I'm going to play the first and I'm going to want to play the second. So by the time they announced the third one here and I'm going to click buy on number three and I still haven't played one, I'm like, what are you doing, man? <laughs> what's, hap- <laughs> what's happened to your life? But I, I know I'm going to play them eventually. They very much seem like my kind of thing. So I'm glad to, it's encouraging to hear that it's fun and that the series progressively gets better yeah yeah i i think uh two took took a big leap again i basing that off a very very hazy memory of the first one but uh, this one feels much better in my opinion (laughs) yeah so i'm also playing i popped in a random three what i thought was a 3d platformer but actually i think is much more fair to compare it to a zelda game uh and that's airy and the secret of seasons so this game is on uh ps4 and switch And if you look at the cover, you'd think it just looks like a generic third-person platformer, 3D platformer. But it it plays a lot more in the Zelda style. You even have, like, a sword and stuff. And the main mechanic is that your character, as you progress through the game, will unlock these different spheres that represent different seasons. And when you use one of those spheres in a small area around you, it makes it that season. So... In like maybe like a five meter circle around your main character, it'll become that season. So use the winter sphere, everything around you will become winter. And then there are obviously some interactions with that. So, you know, if you're near water, it'll freeze over, stuff like that. And then on top of that, when there are certain areas of the game too, where you can basically where there's like these little idols or icons, whatever you want to call them, that really expand the range of that. So you can use them there. Uh, and it'll like blast that season out for this entire room or this entire biome, stuff like that. But yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, this is really my kind of game. It's one of those things where like, if you like Zelda and you're the type of person that likes the also rans for Zelda, you're, you'll probably like this. I would say definitely check it out and see if it's to your taste too. Cause I don't think it'll be for everyone. It, it definitely has a bit of a PS2 feel to it where it's not like, crazy visually impressive it's a little bit janky but it's uh, what can i say it's it's, it's my type of jank we were it's a jank friendly boy here yeah, that's right well jank friendly podcast let's be honest yep. and every time i read the title or hear the title because i saw your tweet or whatever i popped into the stream for a minute i can't see that name without thinking of harry potter and like you're a wizard ari so something about <laughs> ari or ari i just i hear what, what's the what's the big fat guy Heath Heglyph, what's his name? Hor- Horgus? <laughs> Hagrid. <laughs> Hagrid. Yeah. You're a wizard, Ari. That's what uh, Ari and the, and the Secret of Seasons, uh, that's what my brain does with that. So. <laughs> it does have real but, yeah. uh, Harry Potter fan fiction energy to it, so I, I it agree. It kind of does, yeah. Maybe that's what it stems from. Yeah. Uh, the other one that I started here is Shinmu on the mm. Dreamcast. Beautiful. And so. Yeah, this fits into a puzzle piece uh, or a puzzle later. It's a it's a piece to a puzzle for later when we talk about uh, how we're doing with our goals or our one goal of trying to to beat a game on every console that we own. And so, uh, of all the games that I have on Dreamcast, which is not many, this is the one that is kind of you know the highest on my let's let's get this on the old you know notch on the belt uh, yeah. so to speak. It's 
It's just, uh, you know, when I think of the Dreamcast, I think of Shenmue. So let's let's get it done. Let's yep. get it there. Let's get it done. Now, I know, I know it's not a universal favorite. I know it's a bit of a slow boy, if you will. And uh, but it's interesting. And I, I was willing to to you know get be patient and and do what I had to do to to figure it out. I did watch our friend Musty Hobbit stream it some time ago, but not not enough to spoil anything. I just I would pop in for about five minutes just to get some of that flavor. Yeah. Which was just, at the time, unfortunately, just mostly forklift. I didn't see him do anything but forklift. So I missed most of the game. So nothing was spoiled for me, although I do know there's a forklift in my future. But um, but yeah, I mean, the pacing is a little archaic in the way that it all works. But I don't mind it because I think there's so much charm in what they were trying to do with this thing. Like, I love talking to everybody in the city. I don't know. Have you played this, Steve? You played this Shinmu? I have. And I enjoyed it. I really feel like... It is a relic of its era. I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't like it when people say, when people's excuse is that uh, you know that game. It will if you had played it back in the day, you would understand what makes it so special. Because I think if you come to a game for the first time in 2021, it is fair to like sort of judge it by the standards of how you enjoy games in that year or whatever year you're playing it. But I do think you can get into the right frame of mind when you're playing a game. If you're the type of person that is willing to do this, where you can say, okay, I know this game came out in 2000, put myself into like the game design space of 2000 in that context. How is it? And I think that Shenmue is cool, almost as like a weird interactive museum for what was cutting edge at that time. And so it has just like a real energy of like, man, I am playing something right on the border. Like this game exists right in a transitionary period. And I'm seeing like the prototype of that transition. And I like it for that. Yeah, it's actually impressed me a handful of times just with uh, the way it introduces, you know, little side quests to you and the way certain people remember things and just how it's a very living world, very persistently living. You can follow an NPC throughout the day and they, yep. they don't pop in and pop out necessarily I'm a little bit, but uh, I think that's neat. The thing that really cracks me up though is the dialogue is very stilted. This is still back in the <laughs> yeah. day when we're just getting used to putting some voice actors into some games and making like full productions out of it. Obviously this game was very expensive to make. It was in the, I think it was at the top 10 most expensive games to make for until recently, which is <laughs> impressive. So yeah, a lot of effort was put into this, but the dialogue, man, I swear to God, if I go up to another kid in the street and he asks me if I want to wrestle, I mean, it is just every single time it's hilarious. <laughs> I'm, so I mean, I'm trying to look for the people that murdered my father, and this kid's like, hey, mister, you want to wrestle? Not right now, kid. <laughs> I'm a little bit busy. Also, don't just ask strange men to wrestle you. Yeah. Just don't do that. <laughs> you, you have know? a real real innocence going on about you there, kid. You, you don't yeah. know how rough the world is. Absolutely. But I got to say, man, I am enjoying Shinmu as much as I can, if that yep. makes if that makes any sense. As a, as a jank-loving, retro-adoring history fanatic uh for video games this is one that uh even though it's a bit monotonous and dry around the edges a little crusty brings a smile to my face (laughs) and another good thing is sometimes you have to wait for a business to open this game has built in go get more nachos time in the game yep it might be 3 p.m and like ah this bar didn't open till 7 not a lot i can do and it takes four minutes for a full hour of the game to to pass i'm like i got about 12 minutes to go make me some nachos I just stand in front of the, of the in front of the place, run up the steps, pet the cat a few times, get a drink, get them nachos going, come back down. We're about ready to go in and play a little bit more Shinmu. So perfect game, beautiful. Ten out of ten. Every game should have that if we're being honest. It's a good thing. And 
I will say. I'm glad you're enjoying it. I, I liked the second one more than the first one, even though I enjoyed the first one. So if you come out of this one and you're like, that was pretty good, you'll probably also like the the sequel as well. I I think I have the sequel, but I'm not sure. But yeah, I, I do want to I, I want to play through them. I want to see what's up. Yeah, haven't played three yet, but cool. Good pick. Uh, I have just a couple more here. One is I've been cranking some Bomberman on the N-Gage. So I have, had a little bit of a scare. This last week, some setup to the scare. This last week was Games Done Quick. And in my household, Games Done Quick is like a real, it's it's kind of an event. We basically have one TV that is dedicated to running it 24-7. I work very hard not to like schedule plans or obligations or need to go out, be out of the house too much if I can avoid it. Sometimes I even, if I have the extra like um, hours banked and not a lot of pressure timeline wise at work i'll even take that week off just because i like twice a year there being an anchor of like just chilling at home hanging out no obligations relaxing and then also having all this cool video game related entertainment to watch i think it's just a very comforting uh setup and so that was going on this week as sgdq just ended uh by the time you're listening to this my plan when I'm watching GDQ is always, okay, I need handheld stuff that isn't story focused. I need to play something that I can tune in and out of on the handheld and watch GDQ so that if I want to, you know, if the run gets interesting, I can tune more into that. And so I was using this as an opportunity as we'll talk later and we'll see more as we get down to some beats to play some of the weird handhelds, some of the offbeat stuff in the collection. And I wasn't able to quite beat Bomberman. Uh, but I got close. And the reason is, the scare that I was talking about is, I thought my N-Gage was broken. I was a sad no. boy. Sad boy. It's a tough one to replace, man. It's whew. Yeah. So I, I, I was plugged it in. I was charging it. And uh, it wouldn't, it wouldn't like, charge or it would charge and it would boot up and it would stick on a white screen. So I'm, like, panic Googling through old like engage subreddits and old like <laughs> forums from 2007 that where you're like, how, how were there ever enough people on this random websites forum to possibly like communicate back and forth about engage troubleshooting? Like how did they ever find this forum if they didn't come in through Google? I, I was doing a lot. I was like, oh, I'm going to have to reflash this. I'm going to have to get a new one, blah, 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 blah. But I was like, well, you know what? Let's just like, let's play it safe. Uh, I ordered on eBay a new battery and a new charger. Cause I was like, these are the two easy things. They're both like $5 yeah. free shipping on eBay. If it's one of those two, boom, I'm good. And the charger came in first. And thankfully somehow, uh, it turned out to be that the charger was just bad. I think the charger was Whoa. just ever so slightly too low voltage. So it wasn't charging. It It was basically like trickling it and burning it at the same rate. So it was doing nothing. My, my, it was just tickling my end gauge. Oh man! Well, you do, you, hey, 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 that's nice. <laughs> Engage doesn't want to be tickled, so <laughs> I, I don't know how this is true because I've used my Engage many times with this charger. At least I thought with this charger, but apparently yeah. the charger was just bunk. So I don't know if it was never a good charger or if it went bad. Mm. Um, Maybe shorted out. Yeah, you never know. But uh, old electronics you can't can't trust it. So we got it charged up. Started playing that Bomberman. Pretty fun version of Bomberman, except for. I don't. I haven't played every version of Bomberman, so maybe this is normal in the single player campaigns. But it feels a lot like Gradius, where I get some, 
I get some speed power ups. I get some, mm-hmm. you know, like multiple bombs that I can lay. I get some firepower power ups, maybe some remote detonation or something. But then if you die, you lose everything and you're just back to default yeah. little plus sign one, mm-hmm. one tile in each direction explosions. And so I can't ever like build up and become a Bomberman powerhouse. I'm basically just pushing my way through the entire game as if I was doing like a level one character. Oh, you're having a hard time uh, building the, building the things back up there. Yeah. I keep dying. Man, so, so progress has been slow, but it's, it was a good one during DGQ because, you know, you do one little, one little map. Then you tune yeah. into the run and be like, is anything interesting going to happen in the next two minutes? Probably not. Okay, I can do another map in Bomberman. And so we've been slowly working our way through, I think, giving the world seven out of eight now. So we'll we'll get that one knocked out at some point. But it uh, feels good. Nice. I've actually never beaten one of my N-Gage games. So it'll feel good to get my first N-Gage beat. You love to hear that, man. Yeah, I'm a, well, I'm a huge Bomberman fan. I just recently covered Bomberman 1 and 2 on the NES on the old... Uh, Nest friend YouTube channel and uh, yeah they I think they're all about like that like if you get to about um, well you know the sixth level sixth stage depending on the game by that time you usually have a decent amount of power ups if you're not cruising at a good altitude I mean usually that decides like how far into the game you're going to get just cruising and you just yeah. don't want to take a hit you take a hit like you said it's like a hard reset on your whole experience actually I got uh, I got borked on a on Mega Bomber Man on the old um, Genesis, I was on the last level and took a hit and just have, you know, I'm saved right there. Just cannot claw out of that hole. It's just too tough. So good luck. No pressure, but don't screw up or you will ruin your experience. <laughs> well, I've kind of already done that. So it, it is what it is, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. I'm, I'm having enough fun with it. And then finally, I'm still, you know, just plugging away on Dragon Age, hitting those streams mm. every Tuesday. It, it, the game definitely hit a stride where I'm really loving it now. I feel like my builds come together and stuff. So, hell yeah, man! That's only what 25 hours in, something like that. Yeah, probably uh, approaching 30 at this point because I've done a little off-stream, like cleanup and and low-quality side questing. So, we're we're a meaty chunk in, and we still have a meaty chunk left. But we're we're just chipping that one away slowly but surely. Love to hear it. I love it when a game gets really good about 30 hours in. though. that's that's, that's perfect. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's plug ourselves where it feels good because it feels good. Mm-hmm. Now, if you like what you're hearing so far, and gosh, I just hope you are. I mean, that, that stuff I said earlier about the Nintendo. I mean, if you if you heard about that, I mean, it's fine. It's whatever. I mean, you, you hopefully you get what you want. I just want you to get what you want, and hopefully, what you want is more podcasts because boy, we got we got them. <laughs> we got a couple more. So be sure to check us out on our website. That's polymedianetwork.com. We have more shows there. You can find Drunk Friend. That's one that I do with old Alex of SNES Drunk. Recently interviewed Noah McCarthy of Bit Brigade fame. I love Bit Brigade. It's one of my favorite video game inspired bands. Guy speed runs on stage while the band plays the stage music that, that he's running. And it is just uh, it's a spectacle. It's a great time. So Noah was, it was an excellent interview. So please check that one out. That was a good one. And to give you a double shout out, the episode before that you interviewed... I forget Nick, I think is his name from Racket Boy. Oh, Racket Boy. Mm-hmm. That was a great episode too. For so for all my collector minded people out there, you should check that one out as well. It was a good one. Amen. But of course we've got more shows than just Drunk Friend. We've got PD's Power Hour. Season two is wrapped up, but season three is on the way. In the meantime, though, if you want PD's uh sweet, sweet voice introducing you to some alcohol. I guess her voice doesn't show up in the YouTube channel too much, but uh, <laughs> it's true. If if you want more PD in your life in general. 
Uh, you can check out our YouTube channel for some PD's Power Minutes, which are little shorts that'll teach you how to make a drink. And I don't make mixed drinks, so I can't confirm that these are real or prank drinks, but they seem to be real recipes, and people seem to respond positively to them. Yeah, they're pretty good. I've only been poisoned once, <laughs> and um, that might have been on me. I just misread uh, how many ounces of um, turpentine I was supposed to add to that particular one. But <laughs> um, no, they're very good. Yeah. Check out PD stuff. Uh, and also, check out Tales of the Lesser Medium. Uh, you know, some news. You know, normally we do those seasons in uh, in uh, ep- uh, blocks of four episodes, right? We go through four games. Uh, just finish the old script on the second one of our, of our next four series. So... Uh, I would say we're still less than halfway through, but progress has been made, and I'm very excited about that, and and, uh, looking forward to getting together with old Caleb J. Ross and hashing out another recording. So so things are still moving, and uh, coming soon. Beautiful. Speaking of things that are still moving and coming soon, you can also Mm. check out IndieQuest. Been on a bit of a hiatus, but... If you're into all things indie games, if you're looking for indie game recommendations, you want to hear about some breakdowns and some overviews of classic and obscure indie games, check out IndieQuest, where we're, we're, we're cooking some stuff up. I don't want to give you a firm commitment on exactly when, but I'll tell you, there's more IndieQuest in your future. Our boy Frantic's all settled into his into his mm. new Northwestern life, and uh, we've got a couple right. that are in the in the hopper, and more to be recorded here in the near future. So, if you're if you're looking for indie goodness, check it out because there's there's more to find. And while you're doing it, while you're listening to Indie Quest, not at any other time, because I know you're listening to Indie Quest basically twenty four seven. Hop on to <laughs> iTunes, hop on to Apple Podcasts, to Stitcher, to I don't wherever it is you're listening to this podcast. Leave us a little review. Right. Click that five star. Say hey, you guys. Don't be so down on yourself, Trav. You're doing a great job. It was a good podcast. The worst poly kill <laughs> is still the best entertainment available on the internet. And we want to know that. Oof. We would like at least one person to validate that relatively strong opinion. So please, <laughs> hop on there. Let us know. And uh, yeah, we, we, we appreciate it. It helps out the show. It's just, it's good for everyone. It really is. Please do that. And uh, we'd really appreciate that. Um, all of our creators would appreciate that. And uh, also we have a Patreon. Speaking of appreciation, thank you if you are a patron. We really do appreciate it. Hopefully you're happy there. We've given you a lot of cool stuff. Plus you get that Discord. So get in there and find a tier that works for you. you know, you can, you can influence the show. You can throw your own stuff in there. You can interact with us a little more. I don't know. Whatever you, whatever you fucking want, you get there on that old Patreon. So check it, all, check it out. You also get early access to stuff if, I, if I'm ever motivated <laughs> to put it out there. But uh, Patreon is worth it, though, I tell you. And... And not because you get access to us. We're not. We're nobodies. Everyone in the in the Discord is cooler than us. And so, if you want to meet a bunch of cool people, that's the way to go. Honestly, that's true. There are some really cool people in the Discord. It is not necessarily a joke. But finally, if you do want to reach out to us after we just told you that we're not cool or worth uh, engaging <laughs> with, you can do that. You can do it via email at polykillpodcast at gmail.com. Every single time I read you this email address, which, if you haven't been paying attention, is every episode, I tell you, in a, in, in a sort of desperate way, I say, hey, we'll read it. We will read what you send us for the for the love of all that is holy. We, we need your words. Give us your words via email. Mm-hmm. And yet again, on a hot streak, we have another email we're going to be reading later on from a listener of the show. So if you needed even more evidence that this isn't a lie, this one statement, here you go. That's right. That's right. We don't lie here. About email addresses. About email addresses. Polycopodcast at gmail.com. All right. Games that we finished knocked off the old bad log. Ba- bad log? <laughs> Backlog. Old bad log. 
I'm sleepy. I'm slurring my speech, even though I'm just drinking chai tea. <laughs> uh, games that we said sayonara to. I told you, Stephen. I'm gonna say it again. I'm I'm tired, man. I don't I don't have a lot of time for games these days, and uh, I'm really trying. I'm trying to force it a little bit. So I got my two. Okay, I came in here with my two. <laughs> You're trapped too. <laughs> I got my two. I'm maintaining my streak of just at least two. So the first one I had to knock out was Super Bowling on the Nintendo 64. Why would he play Super Bowling on the Nintendo 64? Well, first and foremost, I paid a lot of money for it, and I wanted to make sure it worked. <laughs> yep. And uh, also, here's a little bit of inspiration that sometimes kicks me along. If you're familiar with uh, Nintendo Age, which used to exist, is now Video Games Age, um, they do a little thing there that I, I like. It's a, it's a, it's full of retro fanatics on there, and they do a little campaign each year where anybody on the forum can contribute. And they try to beat every game in the library within a calendar year. And I, I tend to go through there sometimes and see what they got left and uh, try to get one that no one's got dibs on. Usually I try to shoot for something that's not terribly difficult. Yeah. Uh, but this one was on there. No one had beaten Super Bowling. It's pretty easy to beat. It's not a game you get credits on. It's just it's considered a win if you get all of the uh, – if you unlock all the bowling alleys and all the characters, which just means beating everybody once. And so um, I did do that. Now, if you don't know about Super Bowling, to the best of my knowledge, I could just be making this up. This could be hearsay. But it was developed uh, by a company called UFO, and I want to say it was a blockbuster exclusive game. And that's why it's super duper rare. Now, you hear that all the time about every yeah. rare game. It's like, yeah, that was rare because uh, blockbuster had the, had the old uh, corner on, uh, on Super Bowling. I don't know if that's true, but it would explain why a freaking bowling game goes for about $350 yeah. these days. <laughs> yeah. could explain it. It's definitely not the bowling doing it because um, it was a pretty ho-hum experience, although I did like, you know, it has, you know, you you, you have your regular old bowling alleys as one of the, uh, or, you know, places that you bowl. That makes sense. Real shiny floors, you know, squeaky shoes, wood. <laughs> But then, depending on the, uh, you know, you unlock characters as you as you go against them, kind of like a fighting game, and you, you fight them on their home turf, which can get silly. You could be rolling the ball down a creek into a waterfall. You can do all kinds of crazy cool stuff. And so I actually thought that was kind of neat. Um, so it's not completely without, uh, you know, good things to say about it, but it's it's a little dry for a game that costs as much as it does for, for my wall fodder. Uh, I'll admit that. <laughs> but um, being as busy, and I'm going to say it again, tired as I am. Perfect little game to fit in the hours between wakeful anxiety and restless sleep. Yeah, good good one to knock out. Not to uh, only focus on the part that isn't the game itself, but I'm curious for that sort of annual beat across an entire console's library. For games like this, uh, and probably more common on some of the older systems, do they have established like house rules for what is considered a beat, or do you dic- to get to show some authority on that. Nope. They have a table because it gets asked a lot. Mm. And so they have a sort of a, and and I use this all the time for when it's a little fuzzy to me, I go by their rules. So they have a nice table that says, um, you know, every game is credits. And for this list of games where that's not a thing, it is considered a beat if, and it's usually unlocking everything or, um, doing every bit of something, but they're all, every game is represented in some way. The, the NES one or uh, compilation carts uh, tend to be a little trickier. They might cut you some slack on some of that, but um, but yeah, I, I use that. That's just my golden book for beaten. I should I should nice. send you that if you're interested. Yeah, yeah. please do. I'm curious because 
gives me a socially acceptable goal because then it kind of I don't have to make the decision and, and feel like I cheated myself. I say, what's everybody else doing? OK, they're considering this. I'll do that. Yeah, I'd be I'd be real curious to to see that. So please do. Yeah. Uh, so I've got a, a a nice chunk of beats here. First off, I don't have too much to say on this one. I think we talked about this last time, but I played through Wonder Boy Asha in Monster World, and this was a real quick beat for me, and it was good. It didn't quite live up to what I was hoping for after Monster Boy in the Cursed Kingdom. This one felt a little more by the numbers a little more straightforward uh, and that's probably because it's you know directly based on monster world 4 that is a genesis game so it is a platformer sort of designed in that era but it's fun i think probably would be better if you had played that other version and you just wanted to see like a prettied up version of that um but i would say that if someone asked me to like write the the recent wonder boy uh experiences between this monster boy and curse kingdom and uh the remake of dragon's trap this would probably be the bottom of the three so fun but just uh, not something that is gonna really stick with me for too long and then i realized i accidentally bought two copies of this game so i'm gonna have to do something with that other one. Oh man it was uh yeah well we've all been there at least i have because uh it turned into a giveaway so <laughs> yeah there you could go. be our second one if anybody wants an asha in monster world we might have another one there you go. So yeah, okay, yeah. interesting. That's good. So you're, it seems like, seems like you're kind of uh, you give it a, you give it a passing grade. Yeah, it's it's a solid like B minus. I, I would say. Okay. The game I played that I liked a little bit more is If Found. So this is another Annapurna banger, and so you know it's <laughs> going to be good. But I mean, this one's a visual novel that I, I'm not equipped to speak very intelligently to. So it is. A very personal story about a trans woman in Ireland basically just like coming to terms with their identity and their relationship with their family and a lot of other things that sort of bubble to the surface when you're a 19 year old. Hmm. And so it is very like emotionally dense and it is very at parts it is is kind of hard to get through or it is a little bit rough, but uh, I did enjoy it, even though it's not an experience that I can personally relate directly to. Uh, I think that you can tell that this is a very personal, a very like intimate story written by the people that did make this game. You can tell that it's spoken from experience. And then on top of that, the the whole mechanic is sort of set up, or the whole core mechanic of this game is that it's a visual novel. And as you're reading through it, you're erasing things out of like this diary or out of this book and so your main mechanic is you just like on the switch screen or on pc if you're playing on a pc just with my finger erasing words off of the off of the the touch screen and so they, they do some like neat stuff with that and they have some cool timing with like how certain impactful things will come in from a layer behind what you're currently working on so I think that visually it is actually pretty cool. It's not just like you clicking through boxes of text over and over. And it kind of has this this multi-story going on. It, sw- it swaps between two stories. One is the one I just described. And then the other is uh, some of the same characters in like discovering a black hole like anomaly in space. And so it is very like uh, almost like a little bit of a mystery mixed in with the rest of this where it's like, what's going on here? How does this relate? And they do eventually tie those two, those two storylines together. So uh, it's a real short game. It's about two hours, I think, to get through. 
Um, real good music, a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, it's just, I think, you know, if you're kind of the, the target audience, if you're in the market for a game like this, um, but I trusted it on Annapurna's name and I was not let down. It was, it was, it was good. And that's why video games are the best. In the same episode, I can talk about how much I just want to play a Space Jam beat-em-up, and uh, you can introduce something that is very relationship-driven and extremely relevant to society and the way people interact. So there you go. Look at that. Yeah. Look at that. Impressive. Yeah, Annapurna just killing it. So very neat, man. How did you come across it? What made you want to play it? Just the Annapurna piece? Yeah, I, I wouldn't have heard of it if it didn't show up in a Annapurna like sizzle reel or they tweeted yeah. about it at some point. But I'm basically in the camp now where I'll I'll play anything that they produce. They haven't put anything out that I disliked, and almost and, and a good chunk of their games are some of my favorites ever. So I, I I trust them on name alone. Very nice. Yeah. Well, that's how you stumble into some things that maybe you didn't expect. So look at that. You know, I'm going to fit mine in here. Yeah. Because it's, it's come up for months. It's come up for weeks. We finally did it. We ran through the... I stumbled across the finish line of Ghost of Tsushima. <laughs> and man, I'm going to say at the very end of this, I, there's nothing else for me to add, but I think this is going to rank up to right close, if not within my top five all-timers. It's just wow. an impressive game. Just amazing. Just so fun. The combat is super fun and fluid. The... The uh, the way it ramps up everything and, and the story and everything, it's just, it's so well done. It's just such a, a great game for an open world game to really be that just, you know, I didn't even, I didn't find a single chink in the armor of that game. It's just solid. So I really, really enjoyed it to the point that like I, you know, I've been talking about, this is a very beat driven podcast. I had a hard time letting it go. I was doing yeah. some victory laps on the horse. I didn't want to go into the last battle. I knew uh. it was going to be over, but it was, it was time. So to play Shinmu, I guess, but yeah. So Ghost of, of Tsushima, please play it if you. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you've, everyone's heard about it, and everyone's that could ever want to play it has heard about it. They don't need to hear about it for me, but god damn it, if I'm the straw that breaks your back to do it, let it be that. Play it. Heck yeah, you love to see. There's there's almost nothing I love more than watching someone discover one of their new favorite games. Like mm. I'm so happy that it turned out to be something that you connected with so much um it, it gets me jazzed up too they just announced a like a director's cut with some dlc and a ps5 uh, upgrade version and it gets me jazzed to pick that up and and keep playing through i think you can actually even port your save so i just got to the, the oh, second wow. island in my playthrough and i think i might might finally go back to it and give it a shot i'm 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 feeling the hype thanks to you yeah, dude, it's uh, it's really, 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 really good. Visually, every everything's good about it. So, um, I it did. I will say it took me a little bit to warm up, but I blamed a lot of that on just coming right off of Last of Us Two and just not being in the mood for anything else. And so that it was a hard, hard follow up to that. But all in all, really, really good. Once I got warmed up to it, figured out all of the mechanics and the combat system. It was one of those games that reminds me of Spider Man because I don't normally do this. I don't normally milk a game dry for all of the optional stuff and all the quests and uh, I very rarely do that and like the Spider-Man uh, that was on PS4 I, I felt very compelled to go out of my way to get every little thing on the map just because it was so fun to do all that mm-hmm. and that's not common sometimes I find that to be really mundane and especially if it's not adding anything to the experience and it's just a checkbox I don't really go for it but um, Ghost of Tsushima is one of those games where every little thing on the map was interesting you know you kind of wanted to go check it out you saw a little question mark pop up there you're like hey what's that over here let's check that out 
yeah, so it's it's just a game that I got hooked on, and I don't normally squeeze the lemon drive, metaphorically, but for this one, I really <laughs> want to do it all. So I, I didn't get like a platinum trophy, but I I did everything I wanted to do in the game, which is again not common for me. Sometimes I'll just hit the credits, and if there's a little bit more to explore, I say, you know what, we've hit those credits. Let's move on to the next thing. I want to play more games. Want to beat more games, but this one I wanted to stick around. Awesome. I'm 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 real glad to hear it, and uh, hopefully this won't be the last time we talk about Ghost on the podcast. Maybe maybe I can bring it back so you can relive some of that. <laughs> some people listening are like, I hope it is the last time. I hope that was the last time. <laughs> um, oh, well, I got one hot off the presses for you. How about that? I got oh. one that was literally oh. beat not 20 minutes before we started recording this show. We I knocked out. It takes two with the with oh, the lovely wow. lady. Uh, I I've talked about this a number of times, and I won't belabor it, but just an incredible co-op game it ends very strong um it uh some of the like later levels have there's there's a definite mario kart influence which might be surprising for you to hear and also i'd swear that they're pulling some cues from sayonara wild hearts so two games that i really love the whole way through it constantly blew me away uh just how creative they were in finding platforming mechanics that two different people could have like um, opposing, but, uh, but combining mechanics for every time we played it, we were excited. We were, we were ear to ear smiling. And every time that we finished, we were like, Oh, I can't wait to play it again. So, uh, it's been, it's been a good between this and operation tango. It's been a, it's been a good couple months for co-op stuff for me, which is really surprising. We actually, and this doesn't happen to me often. We got the, the trophy for essentially getting all the collectibles in this game. It's you can discover these little like hidden mini games where you are playing against each other. So it splits up the co-op and has you do a little competitive stuff against each other. Like you might play chess against each other or volleyball, or you might race slot cars against each other, a whole bunch of different stuff. But we got the trophy for finding all of them in our first playthrough, which means that there's not any like collectible chasing. And so I think uh, Leah and I are going to take one more co-op session to sit down, knock out the last trophies we got. Cause it'd be a real good, capper on this i think for us both to have the platinum trophy on our playstation profiles is like the record of us having played through it together so great game excellent co-op uh if you're looking for anything co-op if you like the way out um i'd super recommend this one nice yeah all right good to know then i got two two interesting boys for you i told you i was playing oh, that well, engage like that. but that's not where it stopped all right i beat beat toy golf on the Gizmondo. Mm-hmm. I almost said the wrong console, but I, I caught myself. <laughs> so, Toy Golf on the Gizmondo, easy beat. You know, I love those mini golf games. You know, I love those weird handhelds. You get, if you get a mini golf game on a weird handheld, I'm in hog heaven. That's, that's squarely where I want to be. And yeah, not, uh, not too difficult of a beat because there's like a bronze, a silver, and a gold, uh, basically, tournament. You aren't playing against anyone, so you don't have any, like, score requirements. You basically just have to never triple bogey any given hole. The three different tournaments are um, sequential, or they they stack into each other. So there's only nine total holes in the entire game. The bronze is holes one through three, the silver is holes one through six, and then the gold is all nine. So by the time you hit that gold tournament, you're already familiar with the first two-thirds of the run. And there's a practice mode you can hop into to practice the those three later levels too. So it's a surprisingly 
you know, for how limited in scope it is, it's a pretty cool mini golf game. It, uh, it's all, uh, like ha- has that, that feel of you being very small in otherwise everyday areas. So all your golf is a lot of you like golfing on a kitchen table, bouncing the ball off of knives and glasses and rolling it up ramps made out of books and stuff like that. And yeah, I mean, I don't know why I'm really trying to sell it to people because it's one of those things where you're only going to play it if you're the type of person who wants to buy a Gizmondo. And if you bought a Gizmondo, (laughs) you're probably buying one of the like five games on it. And it's not really going to be a hard sell for people, but it's nice that there was a cool game on the Gizmondo. And then the other one I beat, we beat Spy Hunter on the Tap Wave Zodiac. Trav, what's your favorite Tap Wave Zodiac game? Oh, you know, I like Binker Borp, and uh, <laughs> which is a card collector, and Z- and Zinklewinkle. That's a really good one. Mm, it's got a good soundtrack too. Is uh, Zinklewinkle is that in the Z Pack Adventure compilation cart? It is actually. Oh, okay, that's yeah. why I've never heard of it before. Um, yeah. But yeah, for anyone unaware, the Tapwave Zodiac is right around the same time as the Engage. Uh, it was a Palm Pilot handheld game console hybrid so you know at the same time someone said hey what if we combined a cell phone in a game console someone said what if we combined a palm pilot in a game console and so it has you know you can go through you can track your calendar and your daily tasks and all that stuff but it also has proprietary sd card game carts that you can pop in and play a game and it weirdly got some ports of popular stuff there's a tony hawk pro skater 4 port i think there's a duke nukem port it's like the GameCom. i don't know how these yeah these offshoot handhelds get these big licenses but uh yeah there's a port of spy hunter the 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 version of spy hunter that you'd probably be familiar with from like ps2 era and doesn't run great wasn't a ton of fun (laughs) but uh it it, i managed to make it through i was actually surprised because there's i was playing it for a while on arcade mode and I was like, I'm never going to beat this. This is way too hard. Like, I can never do a full run through this whole game without dying. But then it turns out that the level-based story mode is the second option in the menu, and its name is Missile Crisis for no reason. And I assume that was just like an offshoot mini game, like a clone yeah. of Missile Command or something. No, Missile Crisis is the story mode in Tafwave's Zodiac's Spy Hunter. So I was able to go through that and, and beat it well, again while watching GDQ. So that that's two more off the list of yeah. weird systems I own where I was able to beat a game on it for that beating a game for every uh, console and handheld. I think that's a good segue. I have two questions here for number one. Did you just recently get a Tapwave Zodiac? Because that wasn't on our sheet for things to, to show off in the collection showcase. No, I've had it for a while. So maybe, oh, you know what happened? It does, this is not interesting to people. I know why that's not on our on our sheet, but I'll pull it out for one of our showcases coming up. Cause good, good. I got to see this thing because this is the first time I've heard about it. The Tapwave Zodiac sounds like a dancing game for serial killers, <laughs> but I think that this is – I about dropped my water onto my crotch. Sorry about that. I think this is really neat, man. I've, I love discovering new, weird, obscure shit, and uh, it's cool to me that you own it. So that's cool. So you have that. With that, uh, what you were just talking about, we were going to do a little bit of an update on how we're doing on each of our consoles. I think that's a good segue. We'll just bring that up now. Yeah. So I have been adding a few new consoles to my collection over the past few weeks. Yeah. I just recently picked up a 3DS finally. 
I might be in the market for a Vita with a guy at work, although I think he's bilking me a little bit. I picked up like I have found a good deal on an Intellivision. Um, so old and new. Well, yeah, old and newer. I'm bringing it all in the house. So I don't remember how many total consoles I have is my problem. Oh, I don't remember. <laughs> I think I think when we did our counts, you were you had a few more than I did, obviously, but. Uh, I might have been somewhere in the 30s, but I've added a few more. But I will say I have beaten a game on 18 consoles thus nice. far this year. So I want to say I'm I'm in the neighborhood of halfway to our goal of getting a beat on every console that we own. And we did the GameCom together, of course, which was nice and sweet. So I got one of the shitty ones out of the way already. <laughs> uh, do you know of that, of the half that you have left, are there any particularly like difficult ones that you're not looking forward to or maybe you don't have very many easy games on or do you got some low-hanging fruit you know where, where you're sitting the one that's going to be tough is is a bit ironic it's the xbox 360 because somehow i have beaten every game that i currently own on that system so i'm, <laughs> I'm i might be like you know i don't need to do that because i fulfilled that destiny long ago and, yeah. and that one doesn't need any more attention but it also could be an excuse for me to add one to the old collection. I, I was just going to say, I'd use that as my yeah. my justification to be like, all right, you know what? What's the 360 game I want the most? Cost be damned. You know what? I'm treating yeah. myself as a reward for having already beaten all these games. Yeah, and I've beaten quite a number on the 360. I mean, that was my bread and butter for many a year. I want to say, I, you know, I could pull it up here, not to bore people with, uh, with stats. But, uh, you know, a good number of games were beaten on the old 360, and so... I don't know what's in there. I'd want to get something that's exclusive and something pretty interesting, but I'm not looking to do anything too, too long. And uh, the 360 era, I mean, games were, you know, even a racing game, they're all protracted because it was an era where they, they could make it fun for longer. So my my recommendation is Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts, if you don't have it. I don't have it, so. There you go. Now you know what to play. I guess that's what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Uh, so I... I was actually further behind than I thought I was going to be. I knocked out a couple here, and I'll have N-Gage coming soon, which is nice. But I'm at 17 out of the 48 that I need. And I think it's 48, because I don't... That's that's before I split out different regions. So, like, uh, Famicoms and NESs, two different consoles, for example. Mm-hmm. Right, same. I'm a little behind where I thought I'd be. I mean, we're we're over halfway through the year here, and I'm not over halfway through the list. So I got to pick it up a little bit. I did good... I did good on my Segas. I think I've done every Sega console except the Master System and the Dreamcast. So, you know, I ran through Genesis, 32X, Sega CD, Saturn. I knocked one out on all those. Uh, But I still have to do 360 like you and Xbox One. I still have to do basically all the Nintendo systems, weirdly enough. Other than Switch and DS and 3DS, I think every Nintendo system is left. And a bunch of weird, you know, I've got to do a Vectrex game, a, a right. new one game, a 3DO game. We'll, we'll see how those go. Um, although I didn't get a new 3DO game from uh, from Leah for my birthday, so we have a good candidate for that. But yeah, Oh, I, wow. I, I, what was it? It's Phoenix 3. I'm not familiar with, with Phoenix 1, 2, or 3. If you looked up some gameplay, you'd be like, wow, that looks like a 3DO game. It's, it's one <laughs> well, that I, I mean, want. There is this, the 3DO does have a visual stank that is recognizable, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, 100%. So I'm feeling okay on that one. 
I will say I set a couple other goals too at the beginning of the year. One was to learn a speed run, which I did with flying colors. We, we knocked that one out, which is perfect. But yeah, I wanted to beat 102 games, which was one more than I beat the year before. And on that one, I'm on good pace. I'm at a little over 60 now, so I'm well over 50% oh, wow. of the way there. We've been knocking that one out good, so I have no no concerns that I'll be able to get through that one. But i got to pick up some of these other other systems. I'm, I'm falling behind. I'm falling too cozy into my PS4 and my Switch. I, keep, I just keep being like, ah, what do I want to play? Uh, it's just so easy to play a PS4 game. I'll plug one in, get some trophies. But I gotta at some yeah. point you gotta you gotta be like, dude, you're either playing Turbo Graphics or you're or you're failing this goal. So it's time to pop in Bonk's Adventure or whatever and get through it. Get through it, buddy. All right. Well, good luck with all that. You know, and I was thinking about for some of those systems like the Intellivision and the Atari, I might just I might consider getting a high score on a stack of five as beating one game. I might mm, interesting. I might do that really just to give a, a bunch some attention and also just to give those consoles a little loving because I do enjoy playing them. But, um, you know, it's 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 limited enjoyability compared to some of the other ones naturally. So. Yep. We'll see how it goes, but uh, you know, I I I appreciate that I'm one ahead of you on the overall quest of beating a game on a different console every year because you're doubling me in total games beaten. You're in you're in the 60s. I've only beaten 33, but a half over half of them have been on a different console. So I think that that's neat. Yeah, you're doing good with the spreading the love. You're you're yeah. appreciating your collection in a way that's a little bit better than I am so far. So. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. We'll see. Yeah, that's a fun little thing we're doing. And if anybody else took on that um, challenge, which I think is an interesting one and one that I think we could continue every year if we wanted yeah. to, I'd like to know how everyone else is doing with that. You know, I mean, some people are like, yeah, I only have a, huh, only have a Switch and a Game Boy, so I'm doing all right. But no, if you have a bunch of bullshit like Steve and I want to know how you're doing. Yeah, definitely. Please do. Very interested to hear that. And I think I like the idea of us annualizing it a bit, right? It's a good... It, it's a good just like side goal tucked to the side of a polykill to keep us honest about playing the collections and bring in interesting mm-hmm. stuff. Heats those capacitors up at least once every calendar year, which I think they need. Yep. I mean, it does. It keeps it keeps them nice. If you if you turn them on every now and then, it keeps them going. True. So let's jump into the beat tweets. Let's do the big old roundup. Now, man, this is just going to seem like just like a regular old throwback right here. <laughs> this is, this is going to seem just like... Time never stopped. You know, this is great. This is good stuff. So let's just get get into it. We got a runner-up here, a name you might have heard of before. Goes back Corpse Flood Gaming. He finished Vanquish. I don't know why I said that weird. Vanquish. Strange. You ever said a word and then realized, like, like I don't know if I've said that in a while. Van- Vanquish. Vanquish. <laughs> That's the first time it's ever come out of my mouth, huh? It was strange. Anyway, Street Fighter 3 <laughs> Second Impact, Street Fighter 3 Third Strike, Call of Duty WW2, Uncharted, Drake's Fortune. So, you know, not a big, you know, normally I'm still talking when I'm starting reading off uh, Corpse Flood's <laughs> games there. But the, some of those are pretty stout, you know. So for, good job there, Corpse, as always. Yeah, good mix. There's been like a weird run on Uncharted. Un, uncharted? <laughs> uh, is, that a, is that a new word for you, too? <laughs> oh, um, on Uncharted, Drake's Fortune. Caleb did the whole run of them that we saw uh, on some beat tweets back. Uh, I think we read one of them off last episode. But uh, Corpse Flood beat Drake's Fortune. And there was one or two other beaters out there that also did Drake's Fortune. I don't know. That game is back in the zeitgeist for one reason or another. It's, uh, it's good to see. 
you know what? Like we were saying, this is a cozy round of uh, Poly Killer Runner up here. You, you'd you have no way of knowing that we didn't copy and paste this out of any previous episode and just put it in here <laughs> to save time. But uh, That's right. our Poly Killer is, of course, the man, the myth, the legend, round two gaming friend of the show, Dean, who beat 200% mixed juice, a day in the woods, <laughs> four-legged heroin, breakout, a whole new world, adjacency, Leo's fortune, and hidden folks. And here's what I like about this list. None of those are real video games, right? <laughs> that's what you like about it, is that that's just a made-up group of words? It, essentially, yes. Of this, what is seven, eight games here, I have only heard of one of them. All the other ones I saw, I've seen screenshots of the credits. I can confirm that sure, they are we, real. But, yes, yes. But After the fact. I had heard of no, 200% mixed juice. Didn't he beat 100% mixed juice not long ago? It, it was, was like something was... This is the follow-up to that, actually. This is... I would hope. Yeah. It was 100% orange juice was the other one. Oh, right, 200% right, right. mixed juice. Apparently, 200% mixed juice is a shoot 'em up which is a follow-up to 100% orange juice, which was a board game. What in the hell is going on, Dean? What are you finding these games? What's going on? <laughs> so, This is yeah. crazy. Interesting, but again, congrats, uh, Dean. Love to see it. Thank you for always bringing cool, interesting beats uh, to the show. Yeah, and that goes for both of you, Corpse and Dean. We appreciate you guys keeping yeah. the Just Beat It hashtag going because uh, it's it's good for the show. And it's fun to see what you guys are up to. And just a, re- a quick reminder, once again, on that giveaway, we'll announce that next episode. We have a lot of math to do, and then we have to go through a randomizer, and we're going to be very legitimate about it. We're yeah. going to do it, and we're going to tell you who won next episode, and uh, we're really looking forward to it. So uh, let's get into some random beat tweets here. The first one's going to be from Hungry Bill, and I know he's down there in Australia, which gives me the excuse to do the accent a little bit. Uh, he goes by HB Pizza Bandit there. Mega Man 2 wanted a quick game to chill out with, so played on normal difficulty, which makes it a bit too easy. Listen to this badass. Wow. <laughs> he says, probably the best game to start with if you've never played Mega Man before. And I'm, oh, man, I'm going to just have to hard, hard disagree with it. I think that game is hard. <laughs> I think the second one is quite difficult. I think the fourth one is maybe the easiest one. I would say, folks, please start there. Don't listen to Hungry Bill. He's a maniac. He's yeah. too good at Mega Man. He's blinded by his own skill. He has no idea what the common man can do. It's an accidental Please. alpha male over here. Has no idea his own power. Way to go, Hungry Bill. But no, seriously, good job there, buddy. Next up here, we have Matthew Pike at Diwaroa. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. I hope I am. If not, feel free to correct me. But, say, Sackboy was an amazing time. Couch co-op with the kids on PS5. A lot like Mario 3D World, but with fashion. I'm always just happy to see this game show up in the on, on our leaderboards here. You know what? It's a... It's, it was a good launch game for PS5. It's it's just heartwarming fun. So good pick, good beat. You know what? And I'd love to see a, I, I don't think that's a name that we've seen here before, Matthew Pike. So uh, thanks for, for beating and using that old hashtag, friend. Yeah. Up next, Viar45. Of course, our German, our German, I'll, I'll use air quotes, friend. Okay. No, I like, I like Viar. Uh, Tony Hawk's skateboarding on the PS1 or Tony Hawk's pro skater, as it is known elsewhere. He's calling us elsewhere, Steve. How do you feel about that? We're just elsewhere to him. <laughs> that's that's fair. Honestly, he probably gets elsewhere way more, so I get it. Oh, man. <laughs> he says it's pure comfort food. This time I played through it with a DualSense controller on the original PS1. Sadly, my crappy HDMI adapter made it a bumpy ride. Need a better one. Oh, you hate to see that, but, uh, you know, I, I really feel like 
out of the loop on the more than out of the loop. I feel like I'm out of the skate park. I have never put any meaningful time into a Tony Hawk game, and oh. it's so it it's such a beacon of an era of gaming that I love. I just wasn't into skateboarding at the time and didn't get into it since, obviously, because I'm me and I'm I'm still you know I, I've never broken a bone and I'm you know I'm not very athletic and I have no balance and I have scoliosis and so I just never got into it. But um, I mean, obviously, there are fun games with with good throwback soundtracks. Would you say, jumping all the way back to the first Tony Hawk's skateboarding, or pro skater, if you will, is a good, you know, if I just wanted to beat one, if I wanted to take on one, what would you say would be the best? One is definitely the most digestible. It's the shortest. It's got the tightest list of objectives. I think if you're in the mood to go back and start from the beginning, that is probably the right way to go. There's also the remake, the one and two HD that came out, which are excellent remakes of the first two. So you could pick up that collection and just play through the first one on that, and you'd also get a similar experience, but with a lot of uh, coat of polish. So Good to know. Thank you. And good job, Vyar. In particular, this one just blew my mind, because I had no idea it was called Tony Hawk's Skateboarding anywhere in any of its releases. I stared at that picture, which you it can't... Was, it's weird, it, right? You can't see it, but there's a screenshot of the title screen that says Tony Hawk's Skateboarding. I did the thing where I stared at it for a solid two minutes where I was like, what is wrong with this picture? Before I actually read the tweet and I was like, oh, weird. So, very yeah. cool. Very cool. I learned something today. That's good trivia. Next up, here we have Briz at Hokey Briz. Just beat Black Mesa. I never did finish Half-Life 1 back in the day, so this was a great way to experience the story. Great mix of action, puzzle, platforming, although the Zen levels were a little too platform intensive. Epic final boss, though. Hashtag just beat it. So, yeah, Briz made his way through Black Mesa. Not one that I've played, but it seems like a seems like a cool game. Seems like maybe if you like the Half-Life, you'll like the Black Mesa. So good on you, Briz. Right on, Briz. Good job. Up next, we got our friend Dylan Charles, a.k.a. Dilch. At DC Charles. So just beat it. Thanks to our friend Dean of Round 2 Gaming, who just played this and whose description was interesting enough that I wanted to give it a try. Breakout, spelled B-R-K-O-U-T, by the way, twists outside of its initial genre and tells a story better than most brick-breaking games. Say that five times real fast. So we're talking like, we're talking about an Arkanoid-style game, I'm assuming, with a bit of a narrative, interestingly. Yeah. Uh, seems, seems cool. Good idea. And I love... Uh, someone corroborating one of these random games that Dean brought to confirm that it is in fact real <laughs> or that, is that, right. yeah. that he has people on his payroll. One of the two has been confirmed there. You know, what if these people are beating these games for Dean, you know, <laughs> we don't know. That's right. Maybe he's, maybe he's uh, outsourced the beats for yeah. the tweets. <laughs> for sure. Next up here, we have Monkey Girl at Colette LEV. Not a name I recognize. So if this is your first beat tweet, welcome on in. Is this one that you've seen before? I We have, uh, but, but it was many moons ago that yeah. uh, Colette has been in the, the old Just Beat It list. So welcome back, Colette. From before my time. So it's it's new to me. Good, good to see you. Says, I just finished Monument Valley and will definitely play Monument Valley 2. Hashtag Just Beat It. You know? I'm always, this is another one of those games. There's a couple of just random games out there that every time I see a beat tweet for it, it just warms my heart a little. Monument Valley is one of those. Just It's just a good, feel-good game. I just, I'm happy to see more people playing it. Uh, up next, Lindus at Lady Lindus, who I know is a, is a, f- a fervent stream watcher 
of Blink over here. So. She also is staff at Backloggery.com. I will be damned. So very interested in the backlog getting, yes. well, I would say bigger, probably. She's probably not interested in us knocking things out of the backlog. She likes a big backlog over there. <laughs> keeps keeps the business flowing. <laughs> they do charge per game. <laughs> uh, they must. All right, anyway, she says, I actually beat a game. See, that's what I'm talking about. They're not beating games over there at Backloggery. They don't care. You know, it's a oh man. I no. Yeah, here we go. She says, um, "Then this one was already on my backlog." Long live the Queen is a princess maker esque indie title that's pretty simple on the surface with surprising complexity underneath. I admit, I reloaded saves several times to win, but that's okay. Good job. So long live the Queen. So this is an older. I I recognize this from like Steam sales back in like 2013 or so. I can imagine this one has sat in that backlog for some time and got knocked out. So good job, Lindis. Heck yeah. Way to go. Next up here, we have another friend of the show, Jeremy RB at Jeremy3EB. Says, hashtag just beat it, the king of dragons. These beat-em-ups are fun to play when you don't have to worry about cargo short pockets filled with quarters. That's true. I mean... Yeah. I always beat everything in one quarter, so I imagine that's the experience that the average person has. I'm out here with Hungry Bill, you know? I'm just like, oh, sure. didn't even know that there was a continue screen in these games. But <laughs> no, I've never played King of Dragons, but it's always looked very cool and GG on any beat em up because I'm not very good at them. So way to go, Jeremy. Man, I used to, my cargo shorts uh, were so full of quarters, I would get bruises on my knees. <laughs> it's hard to walk around. I sounded like a, the, the only janitor at the world's biggest hospital with all my jangling and dangling. Up next, we got Kyle at Daplik. You know, I would say no stranger to the show, but he's been gone so long from... It's great to see Colette back in here and our friend Kyle at Daplik. Um, early, early day listener. We're talking back in the single digits of the first season of Polykill, Steve. I mean, this was this might have even been before your listening time. Yeah, well, yeah. there's no such thing as before my listening time. I went back and uh-huh. learned up, but... Yeah, I didn't Fair recognize enough. the name, so I apologize if I ever call someone out as new, uh, but they're yeah. really actually just very old. Remember that I'm pretty new, so. Uh, Kyle here, I mean, he's, I'm glad he's alive. I'll say that. I thought he was <laughs> dead. He says, he beat Mario Golf Super Rush. Great gameplay and courses. Speed Golf is a blast. Story mode is fun, but has odd pacing and feels rushed. <laughs> I guess Super Rush, that makes sense. <laughs> um, if you want it for the story mode, wait till it's cheaper. Otherwise, the game is great and even has decent motion controls. Very nice. And I'm out here asking people, why do you want a better Switch? It already has perfect motion controls. Everybody wants motion controls. The Switch has got it. <laughs> yeah, but imagine them Super Joy-Cons. I mean, Ooh, you're right. Those things would be pretty good. All right. Well, that wraps up the beat. Thank you, everyone, for beating games as always. And if you if you just sat through this and you're like, what the fuck just happened? Um, you can do this, too. If you get if you have a Twitter there, you have an old Twitter account there, and you have uh, video games to beat, well, you beat one of those. And then you take a little screenshot. Maybe you take a, have to take a picture with your phone if it's an old game. Oh, man. Whew. And then um, you want to post that on Twitter there. Say something about the game. Hashtag it just beat it at Polykill there. Put that in there, too, so that uh, we can find it. Otherwise, we just you just get lumped in with all the other Michael Jackson fans that are out there. And so um, <laughs> do that for us. And uh, we'll either read it out here on the show or if you beat a bunch like those crazy people that we read off first, uh, you can become a Polykiller. And um, that's also very special. So thanks to everyone. And let's move into... The next little segment here, because we do have an email address, polycopodcast at gmail.com, where you can also contribute your well-written emails, as we often get here, except for uh, last episode where Dylan was mad about dinosaurs and we tried to troll him. This one is from our friend Top Spot. 
and Top Sweat. So just so, so great to always hear from Top Sweat. Top Sweat one two three. Great YouTube channel. Great guy. Yeah, and uh, agree on both those points. Excellent human being all around. Very comfortable saying friend of the show, friend of ours, and also always writes a very thoughtful, like very uh, e- easy to read, well flowing compact but meaty email like top yes. spot is a good email writer i always appreciate seeing one from top absolutely man and as we'll find out later in the show if it's not easy to read steve won't go near it <laughs> it's got to be easy to read we're talking size 12 i'm sorry size 22 font all the way down the page and big big you know whatever <laughs> anyway we'll get to top spots email here um he says i play my video games to beat them that's the ethos of the Polykill podcast and what helped me become a fan of the show. Home video games evolving from score attack to having win state really helped hook me. Beating a game is a shorthand to show a level of mastery for explaining how much you know about that game. Have you ever played Super Metroid, somebody might say? Yeah, I beat it. There you go. You've either just played a game or you've beaten it. Or if you're an overachiever, you've 100%ed it or completed it. If gaming required a resume, your references would be the names of all the games you've beaten. Plus, beating a game gives me a chance to tweet, hashtag just beat it. Which we don't see often enough from Top Spot. Get get back in there, buddy. Yeah. He goes on to say, I don't like starting games that I'm not going to beat. But this unnecessary mental block has been keeping me from playing mini games lately. I have literally hundreds of games available to me that I could try, but I procrastinate when I could be playing. I'm missing out on playing just for the experience of playing. As far as I know, neither of you beat every game you play. I'm certain Trav doesn't beat every game he's featured on Nesferent, and I think Blink has thrown in the towel on a Twitch game a time or two. Since you make a game-beating-focused podcast, you may wrestle with some of the feelings as I. Help me understand what goes into your decisions to move on from a game. I'm sure sometimes it's because of difficulty, but what else may make you swap? And further, how do you feel about moving on? I'd like to get to a point where I see the playtime itself as a net positive, even if I dip before the credits. Any advice you have to get me there would be most appreciated. Your partner in play, Dap. Good Ugh. questions. Good questions there. And I yeah. think, I mean, I know the easy answer he kind of laid out here is because of difficulty. And I think that that's, I mean, that's obviously a big one. But sometimes you know before you even touch the game that it's maybe even too hard for you. And, uh, you know, like I, I might uh, I might dabble around in the Ikaruga knowing full damn well ain't gonna happen i might even yeah. not get past the first 10 minutes so what um what spurs you on there steve is you're you're a bigger beater than i am these days what uh what gets you to move away from a game and what gets you to really buckle down and try to see it through to the end you know i wish i i love when we have a hard and fast rule like this is a podcast that really enjoys a good Either either a hard rule or a rule of mm-hmm. thumb, but I I don't have a, a set system here. So he mentioned I've thrown in the towel on Twitch a time or two. I can speak to that a little bit. When I play something on Twitch, I generally want to play through it, but if I'm not really feeling it and the audience isn't really feeling it at the time, I won't push through. There's no point in in, in gobbling up two or three more streams on a game that isn't to my tastes at that particular time. And also people don't seem to be super engaged with. Um, so I, I'm comfortable setting stuff aside there for me personally, to be honest, basically every time I set aside a game, it is on accident, but that's okay. When I, when I start a game, I'm, I'm almost always thinking of finishing that game. Like, 
shoot-'em-ups you gave are a good example about ones that I might just pop on and play casually. But mm-hmm. most of the time when I'm looking at the shelves and I'm finding one to pull off, my sort of default assumption is, yeah, I'm going to beat this. Uh, that might not be realistic, but that is the assumption that I operate on. And that that keeps me from doing certain things. Like, that means I don't pull out of a lot of JRPGs because I don't want to get sure. 10 hours into a JRPG and quit. I want to know I have the time mapped out for one. You know, that being said, things don't always work out as you as you plan them to. And there's always so many interesting games coming out all the time. And I'm learning about old games all the time. So uh, stuff just kind of naturally falls off the the radar. Yeah, I can tell you this. This I guess if I have any system, it's this. On Backloggery, which is a great website. We mentioned it before. It's where I catalog all my games, my beats. And on Backloggery... They have a mechanic, which I think is very smart, very simple, but very smart. It's called uh, a game can decay. And basically anything that's on your now playing list, if you have, if it stays on the now playing list for two weeks without you updating it at all, without you noting any new progress or changing any of the comment, it, it goes to like a dull gray. It basically like shows you, hey, you have this on your now playing, but you haven't played it in a couple of weeks. And so... I usually sort of optimistically intend to beat a game until I see it decay on backloggery. And that's when I have the conversation with myself. Am I going to go back to this? And a lot of times the answer is like, no. And the act of taking it off my now playing list then kind of frees me a little bit mentally. It makes me feel like, okay, you know what? I've, I've released that one off into the wind. It's not, it's, it's gone, but not forgotten. I'll come back mm-hmm. to it maybe someday. And I, and I had my fun with it. There you go. That's a really good system to have. I don't have anything like that. I just I just live with guilt and shame uh, <laughs> every every waking moment of my life. Basically, it's difficulty. Yeah, most of the time. I usually don't sit down a game though if I'm pretty far into it. That's rare, and that doesn't happen a lot with the NES stuff. I know pretty immediately if an NES game is going to be beatable. Mm, you just got a taste for it, and that's true for a lot of retro stuff. Yeah, within the first like ten minutes of playing it, I'm like, Ooh, I don't know about this. I don't know about this. There are some on there that I know that are beatable, but but are tough, like the Ninja Guidance. And uh, those are, I'm just setting aside for, you know, I'm like, one day I will sit down and, well, one day, probably one whole month of my life, I will sit down and focus and try to beat those. But uh, a lot of the times I, I already know, and I just, do- like you said, I just kind of dodge those. Because I'm like you, I, I'm going for the beats. We have a podcast to do. I like to come in here with something to share. I like the mm-hmm. uh, the catharsis of going through my rituals after beating a game. I look forward I to beating that. a game. Nothing beats going to bed on a beat. I just oh, oh yeah. finally I accomplished. I had a I had a bad day at work, but you know what I did? I finished Super Bowling. Yep. Who cares? But it felt good to me. I need that sometimes. So mm-hmm. uh, I do I do lean into games that I know I can beat. But there is a curiosity for me that uh, sometimes I'll pop in a game that I know is tough just to just to see what's up. Just just say hi. What's going on here? Oh, you're you're a bastard. Let's put you back. Maybe not right now. <laughs> maybe one day. But also too, I will set down a game. And intend to return to it, and I might not for reasons such as what happened to me in Pokemon. Like, I had a lot of effort not mean anything or, uh, you know, yeah. have to repeat a big section or something like that. And I'll just get burned and be like, you know what, maybe later, but sometimes that never happens. That's happened to me a few times. Uh, Final Fantasy VII, I'm near the end. Parasite Eve two, I'm near the end. And I just, I put in like a long session, got nothing back, and just was like, ugh, I don't feel like doing that again. And just never got back to it. So, that happens. But, uh, yeah, I don't know if we've helped you at all, uh, Top, but uh, it's, it was fun for me to kind of think about and talk about. So, if anything, yeah. you help me. 
like a closing thought on that that I would say, and I apologize at the risk of this maybe just sounding preachy, but you mentioned that you get kind of wrapped up in that decision paralysis because you're thinking about beating any game that you start. I would just avoid that, right? Like it's easier said than done, but you never beating a game and always playing an hour or two and setting it down is always going to be better than you not playing a game because you're overthinking what to play and how you'll beat it, right? Like better to literally, and and I'm putting us out of a job by saying this, but better to play games and literally (laughs) never be able to write a beat tweet than to just lose your time to analysis paralysis on what would be a a reasonable beat tweet. So um, at some point, just just fire and forget just leave it to fate or something right like again backloggery has an option called fortune cookie which will just randomly take a Mm -hmm. game out of your backlog and put it on your now playing or random number generator however you want to do it but sometimes better to just make that decision and have an hour or two of fun and then and then re reassess from there yeah i mean that's how uh the nest friends work honestly each one is chosen at random the next one is chosen at random it forces me to to play something anything and I have to, I don't even just get to play it. I have to, I get to dissect it. It goes onto the surgeon's table, and I take uh, you know I I, <laughs> I sterilize and I go in deep, and so I'm forced to go through it that way. And that honestly makes it a bit exciting. Nothing's more exciting than being randomly told to play a shitty game. That makes it way more fun than me having to sit there and be like, ugh, I guess I'll play this shitty game. But no, fate said, hey. You gotta, you gotta know all there is to know about this shitter and tell everybody about it. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, let's do it. That sounds like a good time, honestly. Let's do that. Yeah. So there, that's uh, that's a good advice. Maybe just just randomly choose one, and who cares if you beat it? Just have fun. Get put some put some time in. All right. Well, you know what? I'm not going to beg for it, but I think it's time for me to um, mm, get in that hot seat. I'll do it. Wow, he puts himself in. I mean, you know you raised your kid right when he when he sits in the corner on his own when he knows he's done something wrong. Ooh, ooh, it's hot. Ooh, it's hot. I'm just yeah. I'm going, I'm going in slow. Ooh, 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 too, too much. Ah, ooh, ah. Okay, all right, I'm in here. Sorry, I didn't, I didn't turn it down after I got up, so you're hitting that same heat. <laughs> all right, so let me ask you this. Okay. Of all the animals, animals, bugs, whatever, any non-human living creature... Which one do you feel like least belongs on Earth? So, for example, you know, which one seems like like it came out of a fantasy story and isn't actually a normal, believable animal? You know, this seems like an answer that's so almost mundane. I'm going to say the zebra. Why the fuck has it got so many stripes? (laughs) Like, aren't you food for most predators? Why do you look like a convict from a 1920s cartoon? You stand out. Were you? Are you an alien species of horse that landed here and just had to end up because your spaceship, your horse spaceship broke, and then you just had to live here? And you're like, shit. Now everything eats us here. This sucks. We, I wish we could leave because you look like you don't belong. <laughs> that's so, that's so true. It looks like a horse that you unlocked some extra skins for in a game and you're cycling them through. And when you got to the zebra skin, you'd look at it for two seconds and you'd be like, oh, it's ugly. And you just keep going. Yeah. Like this looks kind of like a trapper keeper. Huh. Yeah, that's so true. I guess I'll keep it. That's uh, a good answer. It's a good answer. I asked, this actually came up in my, in my real life. You know, every now and again, I do stuff outside of Polykill. No uh, shit. And I was, uh, 
talking to a friend and we were talking about turtles and how turtles just they seem like a fantasy creature like why why do they got these big hard shells they're always covered in moss and they move slow like why do they move slow why as their natural like defense mechanism their entire evolutionary purpose is to stay alive and procreate did they develop the trait notably slow it just doesn't add up <laughs> it you i mean you got great points yeah, yeah. so a good, good pick though but here, let me let me give you a little bit of an easier one for you. You know, I know you've been you've been having a crazy weekend. You've been busy. What are the last mm. three foods that you ate? Oh, let me hitch it up. It's all been one thing: carnitas. <laughs> uh, my buddy, we went we went to my buddy's house and he hit up that smoker he's got down there. Oh, it makes the meat. Oh, buddy, it's so good. <laughs> and he put the meat in there, and so uh, we 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 sat around and smelled it all weekend. And that's what you do when you have a smoker because you can't see the meat inside a smoker. So like a grill where you can just always lift it up and just take a big look at it. It's mm-hmm. got to stay in there and be smoked. So you just have to stand outside of it and hope the fire department doesn't show up and just sniff the air and be like, mm, "This is gonna be good." And so we <laughs> did that, and I was so hungry that when it came out, I had like I put I put that pork on everything, man. I made a tostada, <laughs> I made a burrito, I made a taco, I made an omelet out of it. Like I just ate that stuff on every bit of food that we could we could find a good excuse to put it on so yeah wow good you're making me jealous Mm. i literally because i didn't have time for dinner before we started recording literally had a spoonful of peanut butter for dinner so that currently does sound pretty good right now jesus wow oh good thing good one all right so this next one inspired by a recent discord chat which by the way if people aren't familiar on that patreon every now and again Usually, Trav, but any any members of our Discord, sometimes they'll just have a conversation, they'll record it, and they'll throw it up. You get to learn more about one, usually two people. It's They're very uh, casual, very fun conversations. So another cool benefit of the Patreon. But inspired by your recent one with Rangoro, Mr. Ross. Mm-hmm. Yes. You mentioned, you know, taking a bit of a drive to see a concert. And so I was wondering... What is the longest you've ever been in a car without stopping? And if it's that, you can retell it for the people here. And if not, I'd love to no. know what it is. Longest trip in a car without stopping was probably to from from my little homestead in the mountains of Virginia, all the way to uh, Tampa, Florida. No, Jacksonville, Florida. Sorry, excuse me, Jacksonville, Florida. So that's that's some hours. I don't even know how many hours that is. But that was a nonstop trip because the one that I took to, with Indianapolis to Jake that you're referring to, we did stop partway there and partway back for some um, airbnb Okay. But this was uh, back in the day. Uh, obviously, I'm a big college football fan. I don't think that's a secret to anyone. Um, and while I was in college, it's like 2006, 2007, something like that, um, our, you know, my, my beloved team uh, got to go to a... Um, a championship game, ACC championship game that was down in Jacksonville in the Jaguar Stadium against Florida State. And so we thought it'd be cool. Let's car trip down there, go see the big game. Maybe we'll be on TV, have our shirts off, spray paint something <laughs> that has exactly four letters on us that makes sense. Um, and so we did that. And so, yeah, we we booked it down there. And uh, I had to borrow, because because we were all poor college kids, we all had clunker vehicles like hand-me-downs from our parents so i got to borrow my sister's new car at the time which was like a a chevy cavalier like not not a fancy car but (laughs) it had less than a million miles on it and we took that down there we had ourselves a good time despite the loss we still had fun so um that would be my longest trip i was going to look up real quick how many hours that is because i don't remember i just remember being like 
this is way too much driving. We should have <laughs> bought a helicopter to do this. Interesting. Good to know. I, I didn't know if you'd ever taken a, a long drive like that. So yeah, I, yeah. I learned another story today. I'm liking it. Just eight hours, which is not, you know, not the longest anyone's ever done that. I mean, if every single workday of my life has taught me anything, eight hours is a lot of hours. That That's a long time. It was hemorrhoid provoking for sure. <laughs> uh, so, so my fourth one here, what's the silliest thing that actually does scare you a little bit? The thing that you're afraid of that you're a little embarrassed that you are actually a little bit afraid of. What a good question. A lot of the things that scare me are, are like jump scare kind of stuff. You know. And I say what's kind of silly. Today I got scared by a noise that is... I was at a zoo today, actually. It's funny that you asked me about zebras. Because they weren't at this zoo. But I had I had zoo, zoo-like animals on the brain. But we were at a zoo today. We took my daughter to this little science museum thing. And, uh, you know, I've not been out in a while. It's been 18 months since I've been out in public, right? I'm a little a skittish. I don't know what's going on. Um, but we're, you know, we're in North Carolina for this. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not quite the south, but it's it's south enough to where we have these things. And I don't know if you have these in Minnesota, but sometimes it'll get so hot here in the south. They have these places you can, when you walk in, they have this air conditioner that just hits you as soon as you can. Like it's triggered by the door. Like you open a door and just pulses of cold air shoot down over your body and cool you to the bones until you shut that door. Now, my, my daughter uh, was also scared of this. We both had a moment me 35 her never seen this before of this scaring the shit out of us because it was loud and unexpected and so i'm I'm going to allow my family into this door and this pulse of cold air and this loud engine starts that makes me feel like i just walked into the turbine of a like a jumbo jet yeah and uh i ran away from the door for my family to die by whatever it was So so sudden and loud and un- just didn't suspect it. So I would say a door would be the silliest thing <laughs> that's uh, that's gotten me pretty good. Uh, I, I mean, I'm sure you've reinforced for your child that uh, she knows that you'll you, you'll be there to protect her against most yeah. things, not doors, but most things. We ran opposite directions too. I kept running through the door I had opened for her, and she ran the opposite way. So now we were divided by this very scary door. Uh, we one of us was, would have to die to get back to the other one. We survived. <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. Okay, so then my last one here. You're in a you're in a, a competition, a competitive eating situation. Oh man! And so you're you know get into the headspace of someone who is who is planning to eat to to bursting. Uh, for the purposes of competition. But you have a choice. You can either choose to eat peanuts or jelly beans. Which of those two do you think you can eat more of? They're roughly the same size. So which one do you think you could pack more into your stomach? Peanuts or jelly beans? I'm going to go with the peanuts. I think I'm going to be packing a lot of peanuts in there. My problem with the jelly beans... Well, there's a lot of variety in the flavor there. The sugar is going to make me a little bit queasy straight up, but yeah. I just I can feel them just getting stuck in my teeth. Yeah. And just being, after a while, just chewing a big brick of sugar. But those peanuts, you know, eventually it's just peanut butter down in there, man. Let's get that. That's a tough one. I agree. I'd feel sick with the sugar, but that protein is going to make you feel full. So That's true. That's a good point I, there, too. Maybe you just uh, feel full and don't care because you're a competitive eater. So. That's right. I, there's got to be a record for most peanuts ever eaten in one sitting. Most peanuts ever eaten <laughs> in one. 
Let's see what we get here. Doug Morris ate 18 peanut M&Ms in one minute while doing sit-ups. I'm going to count it. <laughs> there you go. That's the answer we were looking for. Um, yeah, good, all right. Good stuff. Good stuff. Five hot seat questions. He's in and he's out. I think you did good, but I'm curious. Did those hot seat questions make you want to talk about books at all? I am ready to talk about books. I feel like I'm as turgid as Caleb J. Ross in line at the library. <laughs> that guy loves books. He loves his own books and books, 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 books. So this particular request for a top five comes from the oft mentioned on this podcast, this episode, even Patreon, patreon.com forward slash polykill if you're interested. And this comes from JJS Boyce, also known as QX in the old Discord. And he says, you know, I don't have it in front of me, so I'm going to paraphrase super hard while I look for it. But he says something to the effect of, do books. <laughs> We're here for you. <laughs> what a paraphrase from me. Yeah. Uh, no, I got it here. He says, I recently picked up The Game Console, which is a book, after seeing Trav's recommendation, and I read Atari Age last summer. What are your top five recommended books about games? And so we're going to do this a little bit differently, because as I made fun of Steve earlier, he's not read a ton of books, he thinks, to give a top five. So he's going to talk about five books he might want to get into. And I'm going to talk about five that I've read. It's true. I'm, I'm not I'm not a reader. And if I am reading, I'm reading fantasy fiction. But uh, this is a good opportunity because it, it is going to help nudge me with some guilt and uh, encourage me to read a couple of new things. So I'm excited. Uh, do you want me to get right into my number five then? Scoosh on in. So my number five that I'd like to read is, this is an older one, I think, uh, is Masters of Doom. So mm -hmm. by David Kushner, it's a history of id software. And uh, this is one that gets referenced a lot. You hear this one tossed around as like, you know, stories coming out of this book. And I don't know, I'm, I'm, I am very interested about uh, the history of that studio and just like what, what was in the minds of uh, developers that were so, so ahead of basically the design curve at that point like just regularly breaking new ground but also having this like weird hyper casual startup metal band energy at the same time so right yeah um, yeah seems i i'm like i'm aware of like roughly the timeline and events of that period just from sort of through osmosis of living around game enthusiasm but i would like to sit down and actually read it to to have a clearer picture yeah, that's actually one on my list that I want to read as well. Uh, I'll be straight up when I get in my top five here. I I really, uh, well, not for all of these, but I also don't have a lot of time on my hands to just read things that aren't work-related, unfortunately. So I've taken a lot of audio books, and so that's how I've taken yeah. in all of these. And um huge proponent for the audio book. Uh, wow, it's just true. Same. It's a massive uh, thing for me. So anyway, uh, my number five was a recent, actually maybe the most recent audiobook, gaming-related audiobook that I have ingested into my skull, and that is The Gaming Mind, A New Psychology of Video Games and the Power of Play by Alexander Chris. And so you'll find that maybe a lot of mine are a little, uh, a little psychology-driven. They're not so much about like a, a story about necessarily how games are made or whatever, but um, this one is interesting. So I, I don't know if you know of Oliver Sacks, who's a... Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, he was a British neurologist. He wrote a lot of nonfiction stuff about the interesting cases he experienced uh, in his psych- psychiatric and neurological ex- um, experiences as a doctor. It's kind of written like that. It's um, it's one of this clinical psychologist, Alexander Chris, who recounts his experiences in treating and interacting with people, uh, patients particularly, who are interested in video games. And he uses that as a window to get through to them. So some of them, maybe they have something else completely go, you know, different going on. But if he can find that common ground with video games, uh, he, could, he could find them to open up. And then there's a couple other cases that uh, deal with gaming specifically with psychology. So it's, it's pretty interesting stuff uh, all in all. And I don't think it's a very common take on video games as a central theme in a book. So that one is one I would point to if you're interested. The Gaming Mind. Nice. That sounds very interesting. I, I like that angle for a video game book coming, tying, not always necessarily just being like, a, here's the history of X, Y, or Z, but um, approaching it from psychology or, or any other sort of like mix of sociological field and gaming. That's cool. Yep. So my number four, one that I want to read, and this one, uh, I get a little bit of credit, I think, because it's tied to one I have read. Uh, I want to read The Legends of Localization, uh, book one for The Legend of Zelda. Uh, have you read either of these Legend of Localizations book? No, no. I've, I'm not really all that familiar with them. So They're interesting. I think you can buy them on Fangamer. The, the two that I'm aware of, uh, the first one being for Legend of Zelda, the second one's for Earthbound. Uh, they're by Clyde Mandolin, and... He breaks down in excruciating detail the differences between the original Japanese versions of those games and then how they were localized, like down to like individual text boxes. And basically, why did the localizers change the things that they did? How did they change it? You know, how did they keep the spirit of the original text, but also translate and localize it for an English speaking audience? What were the influences at the time? Um, in some cases, even whether or not he feels like there was a smarter way to achieve the same goal. It's just, they basically read like extremely in-depth, essentially screen by screen breakdowns of those games with tons of interesting trivia, insight, all sorts of stuff. And I've read a good chunk of the earthbound one. Uh, and it's been, it was really fascinating. Uh, brings in, it like explains all sorts of pop culture references and stuff uh, that went way over my head and just gives you a lot deeper appreciation for that game. And so uh, I'd love to go back and read the first one, which is on the original Legend of Zelda. I think it would be really cool. Yeah, I'm just, I just looked it up here and uh, boy, I just almost bought it while you were talking. So <laughs> good, good uh, recommendation without reading. You sold me. All right, so my number four here is one that was referenced in the very message that started this whole thing, and that is, actually, was it, did he mention the game console? He did, yeah, the game console, Mm. which is a photographic history from Atari to Xbox, and there is a second one that's coming out or has come out which updates this, but this is just a photo book, essentially. It's a nice coffee table book, but it's also really, really neat. So it's just gorgeous, high-res photos of 86 different video game consoles inside and out. So it shows them it's kind of a nice tiered way. It kind of breaks them apart. You can see every little element of it. And uh, then it has a little, you know, some baseball card stats about the console, when it came out, where where it came out, what it was capable of, and all of that. And so it's a nice, it's a reference book, more or less, but really, really fun to look through and flip through because of all of the the really nice photography in there. Mm, yeah. Uh, I, I'd be down. Does it have, like... 
outside of the photography, is there like articles associated to each of these different things or is it really genuinely just a photography book? Uh, it has some write-ups with it, sure. Okay. Uh, it's, it's, I would say it's very basic information. It's, it's photography first. Okay. So, you know, it might not be anything new for you, but it does have a lot of obscure stuff in there and it does, it makes a point to go through some of the iterations of even the same console, like version one, version two, version three, what was different about all of these one-up iterations that we were making fun of earlier. So, yeah. Uh, so my number three is uh, a game called, or a game, but called a book called Blood, Sweat, and Pixels, the Jason Schreier's uh, book. And I think... Jason Trier has two books, and I'd like to read both of them. He does a lot of very in-depth investigative journalism in the game space, a lot of times talking about like working conditions at different studios and things like that. But he is very thorough and uh, very detailed in sort of the information he uncovered and how he presents it. So I'm curious what a book like a full-length book written by him would be like. And I've heard uh, decent things from people that I know read a lot more game literature. So I'd like to pop one of those in at some point. Yeah, that's a pretty good recommendation. I've heard a lot about that myself. Uh, okay, my number three here is Pat Contry's uh, Super NES and NES books. I'm lumping them together because I think they're very part and parcel. Fair. And the N64 one I'm really excited for. And, uh, you know, within our space... People have a lot of opinions about Pat Contry, but he does not skimp on these books. These are great resources and just complete guides for the libraries for, you know, again, so far the NES and, and Super Nintendo. They are whoppers of books, though. You can kill a man with these books. <laughs> I would not put both of them in one backpack without making sure you have a good warranty on that backpack. They are studs of books. Um, and sometimes, you know, it, it's the he goes over the, the North American library occasionally. I think he's a little more complete for the Super Nintendo one because he had practice from the first book. But uh, there are some non-North American games highlighted in there as well. Uh, screenshots, full color book all the way through. A little bit of info about the game. And then he adds a review in there and, and some anecdotes about those games. And I mean, you may not agree with all of his reviews, but they're pretty solid you know, uh, summaries of the games. You, you have a pretty good feel for what you're getting into after you look through it. I found it to be just a really good resource because sometimes you see a game, you just like, just especially for that old stuff, just give me a little bit of a screenshot. What kind of game is this? And mm -hmm. that's where that book comes in handy, or those books, excuse me, come in handy is just get a feel for a game without having to, you know, watch a YouTube video or anything like that. You can just, you know, pop to it. And I found myself just sitting on the back porch, just page after page, reading it like a book. Which is, you know, it's like reading a dictionary, <laughs> but I really do enjoy everything that he, all the work he's put into it. It's not on my list, and I, and apologies if I'm breaking a further down into your list, but that reminds me of the, the bitmap books, and especially the latest bitmap book, which was on JRPGs, uh, that I'm interested in reading for the same reason, basically. It just like, it's nice to have a, a really comprehensive list and, you can either look up some information on something in particular or you just flip to a new a random page and maybe learn about something you never heard of or never really dug into before. I think those are those make for excellent coffee table books because you can get one minute's worth of reading and then almost surely find yourself some entertainment. Yeah, that's but, true. I need to get into the I, I don't have any of the bitmap books and I, they're on the want list for sure. But my actual number two and actually my number two and my number one are ranked as such. Because these are two books that I own, but have not read yet. 
So they, they have extra guilt that I haven't gotten around to them. And so I'm giving them extra placement on the list here. But number two is a book called Reality is Broken, Why Games Make Us Better and How They Can Change the World. Uh, it's by Jane McGonigal. And it's essentially a book talking about how video games can be used to improve people's lives and are to the benefit of the people that play them and sort of society at large. I think the 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 stigma of like video games being bad for you is sort of washed away with the tide at this point so it's not like it's necessarily making the case that doom isn't actually turning everyone violent or grand theft auto isn't turning everyone violent that that has sort of already been put to bed but uh I, it's a book that i think just mostly sheds light on uh the many different ways that games can be used to generally benefit the cultures that they are included in. So I'm, I actually read the first couple of chapters of this one many moons ago, probably five years ago or something like that. And I'd like to get back to it, probably start it over because I don't remember too much of what I read, but uh, I'm curious and I like the the setup. Yeah. Now I hear you. I've heard a lot about this book as well. And I know that I think this is one that Caleb speaks highly of being he, him being one of the, the folks that I know that uh, has a good collection of video game related uh, books and he's recommended oh, yeah maybe most of the ones on my list here. So he might even be a better source if you're interested uh, on these topics, JJS boys or anyone listening. And it factors into the next one here, which I think uh, these two books, uh, the one that you just mentioned and the one that I'm about to mention are related in this way. My number two is Getting Gamers, The Psychology of Video Games and Their Impact on the People Who Play Them by Jamie Madigan. They even have similar names. Jamie Madigan. Yeah. yeah. This one released in 2015, so it's a, maybe a little bit newer. But um, this is everything, you know, it's very similar to the one you just mentioned about. It's everything from how video games are designed as learning tools to touches on video game addiction, uh, sociological implications of gaming communities and insight into, you know, violence caused by video games, all of those touchy topics as well, and even a little bit of a history lesson on that. And um, it might be a little biased in favor of video games to be a, an art, a book <laughs> written for the psychology of video games, but uh, and a little bit textbooky, but it's extremely engrossing and absolutely worth a read. It's one of my favorite books ever. So, yeah, I wow. highly recommend that one. If you're a nerd like me, obviously. Very, interesting. Yeah, very nerdy book. Give me the name of that one one more time. Uh, Getting Gamers, the psychology of video games and their impact on the people who play them. But Getting Gamers should should come up if you Heck yeah. look that up. Yeah. I'm, I'm building my own want list. I'm adding to my existing one there as we go down this list here. So my number one, again, another book that I own, I actually purchased it directly, I think purchased it directly from the man at a... Midwest Gaming Convention, but it's Power Up How Japanese Games Gave the World an Extra Life by Chris Kohler. And so mm-hmm. it's a book covering that sort of period of time, you know, kind of post-crash NES era or so, 80s, maybe into the early 90s, where Japanese game development really was sort of the highlight of the sphere and how they did a lot to introduce new genres, revitalize existing genres and just sort of breathe life into the market. Even though obviously there was great development work happening all throughout the world, but uh, yeah, he takes a, a close look at specifically that period of time in Japanese developed games. And Chris Kohler just in general is a, is a good follow. I followed him from the many different things he's done. He's also very collector minded like us. So he approaches things in that way as well. So uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to checking it out and it's not too long of a book. So uh, I don't know if it'll be pretty high level or, or what, but uh, I should be able to knock it out relatively quickly. Actually, once I 
just get started on the dang thing. Look at you treating books like games. Look at you. That's a shorter one. I should be able to knock that one out in a night or two. Let's see. I maybe I'll yeah, it's only a 70 pager. I think I can knock that one out. <laughs> Stream that one on Twitch. Uh, all right. My number one here is a, is a book uh, in one of the, it's an outlier here on this list because this one is extremely entertaining. The other ones are maybe a little bit nerdier for reference, but uh, this is Console Wars by uh, Blake J. Harris. Uh, and I think there's a movie coming out based on this book. Uh, I don't follow movies, but that could be that could be right. I think Seth Rogen might have something to do with it if I followed a Twitter f- strand from years ago. Anyway, yeah. uh, it's it's a really it's a, it's a, the story we all know about the console wars between Sega and Nintendo in the early '90s. So this is based on those behind the scenes antics that were going on. It highlights what was going on in all the press conferences at Sega versus the ones that were happening in Nintendo, and it's probably a little embellished. You know, I think he took some liberties with what those conversations would have been like, but it is extremely yeah. entertaining. And I, I'm speaking specifically about the audiobook. The guy who narrated it did a fantastic job. It's quite a big book. It was a long listen. It's full, yeah. chocked full of, of, of information, but it was so fun. I had a lot of fun listening to it and actually listened to it while I played Dark Cloud two and so now i find those two things intertwined in my head is that story and and, <laughs> and dark cloud too but um it just it's really fascinating stuff and it, it takes that console wars you know that thing that we all know about the great console wars of the early 90s and um fleshes it out to a very entertaining and enlightening degree that i just found against it so fascinating it's almost a business thriller which i didn't think it was something i would ever enjoy but and when you listen to it, you're like, oh, this would make a fantastic movie. Because I remember having that thought several times as I was, I was like, man, I would love to have seen this on screen. You know, this seems almost unbelievable. I wonder if it really happened. And sure enough, it did. Hmm. So it's uh, there's more that meets uh, meets your memory when it comes to the old console war. So it's a book to check out. Yeah, I've heard that that one is written. Uh, not not where it's not factual, but I've heard that it's written. As if you were trying to write the screenplay yes. version of those events, so it, it is very gripping in that way. For sure, I mean, you you know, like there's no way they remember what this conversation was like to this degree for this to be factual, but uh, it's so it's written in such a way that you'll get a kick out of it. It's it's fantastic. Well, I don't know if you have any honorable mentions. I have one that I'll mention if you don't. No, I don't think so. At least I hadn't thought of one. But uh, yeah, go ahead. So there's one book that I read recently that I wanted to mention, even though my list was stuff that I intend to read. I did want to give a shout out to one that I really enjoyed. And it was called Ask Iwata, Words of Wisdom from Satoru Iwata, Nintendo's legendary CEO. Yeah. And this is essentially a, a like a compilation of different bits of writing from Iwata across different places. So from his Iwata Asks column, uh, from some other clippings that he wrote, I forget exactly for, but for like uh, like a Japanese newspaper or something like that, he was a regular uh, writing like columnist, opinion person for them too, and and then that is cut up and interspersed with like memories and stories told by people that were close to Iwata during his tenure, uh, coming up into and during his role as uh, president or CEO at Nintendo, and. It's all one genuinely like very insightful, very interesting, very heartfelt. And I, I have uh, for a long time, very like, uh, I always looked up to Awada's sort of like 
optimism and enthusiasm about games, which is not necessarily entirely common from a C-suite level executive. And I know some of that is put on for the purposes of appearing that way to the public, but uh, you can tell that there is definitely um, a, a large component of that that is genuine. And it comes through in his writing and him talking about in many ways, like not even ever wanting to be the CEO, but just sort of falling into that position and, and whatnot. So uh, it was a really good book, uh, a lot of fun. And as we record this now, it is, I think, the six-year anniversary to the day of when he passed away back in 2015. So it's a oh man, bit of a serendipitous coincidence, but um, it, just a really excellent, very um, melancholy, but also very um, encouraging book. And I would highly recommend it to anyone. All right. Yeah, that's a really good uh, recommendation. Thanks for bringing that to the table. Uh, The only other recommendation I would have since you threw out an honorable mention would be uh, Blake J. Harris's newest book, who who wrote my number one there, uh, The History of the Future, which is about the uh, upcoming Oculus and its its, uh, stint through Facebook and all that stuff. Um, Really interesting stuff about early VR and current VR. So there you go. Awesome. All right. Well, Steve, I think it's been it's been a f- nice full. This was our girthiest. It's been our girthiest. Yeah, you know, it's a shame that on the episode where you said, oh, "I'm tired, I'm not, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to be funny." Let's just let's just bang this one out. Who cares about our podcast? Mm. That it turns out to be our meatiest and our best. And oh, you, you think best? Oh yeah. I All mean, right. anyone out there, go back. I don't have to point them out to you. I think you know what Trav's top five funniest jokes were. They they speak for themselves. <laughs> so. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Ooh, ooh, baby. Ooh, ooh, baby. All right. Well, <laughs> that's going to wrap it up here on this old episode of Polykill. So, everyone, thanks again for listening. Hanging out this long for sure. And uh, stick around for a couple weeks from now when we announce the winner and announce when our next, the next time you'll see our mugs on YouTube showing off all the stuff in our collection. So, uh, until then, goodbye. I'm, I'm going to say goodbye to 50% of you. And I'll leave it up to you, the listener, to determine if you're in that 50%. Wow, that's a lot of stress. Mm-hmm.